listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. We have returned to finish up the WrestleMania 2 era. That's right. We're here for part two, which is going to get us to Saturday Night's Main Event 6 that happened on May 3rd, 1986. Approximately one year after our original Saturday Night's Main Event. That's right. Very close. The May 11th was the, we're just shy of May 11th, 1985, the first ever episode. And we're back. So there's still some setup to be done. And that's all been fortunately already recorded. <laughs> we'll be adding that in right away. And that's going to get us to being able to talk about Saturday's main event. If they can insert pre-recorded material, so can we. We can do it with the best of them. That's right. So here's me and Corey. Earlier, we recorded in a sauna, just like Orndorff <laughs> and Mean Gene Orkelin. We did this one in a hot tub. That's right. All right. So enjoy a few more segments to get us up to past WrestleMania 2 and then to Saturday Night's Main Event. And then we'll start recording live again. So it's one of the last things before we can get to WrestleMania 2. We've got an April 5th body shop where Andre the Giant and Captain Lou are the guests of Jesse Ventura. What's interesting, it comes into the segment and you can hear Macho Man's music playing in the background like his match much just ended. So you're, you're getting the right, whatever point of the song it's in and you get those guys. But So Jesse's there to hype the Chicago portion of WrestleMania 2 in the 20-man Invitational Battle Royal. And he notes that 14 are wrestlers and six are football players. And he doesn't like the football players. So it's kind of weird. He's almost kind of on Andre and Captain Lou's side. They're kind of working together in this, this thing. He's not, he's not picking it uh, at Andre. So Andre and Captain Lou. Yeah, and Captain Lou came out as his manager earlier in the year. Like in eight, sometime in 85, he started coming to the ring with Andre as his manager. Yeah. Oh, right. Was he there? He was there with the Bundy, the Dream Team Bundy Stud. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was there, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was, yeah. Yeah, interviews and all. Yeah, and and Bundy versus was it, yeah, I think it was Bundy versus even Bundy versus Andre like the the colossal tussle or whatever just the colossal jostle or right. whatever it was because and that time when they were fighting like when Heenan was beating up Captain Lou and there was the tag match it was like uh, I think it's Hillbilly and Andre versus Bundy and Stud and then uh, Heenan rams Captain Lou into the steps on the outside right <laughs> all that stuff so yeah so he's there and so it starts off with Captain Lou just like way too hyped up and he's rhyming and rapping <laughs> just doing all the stuff and first he got to talk about the Bulldogs taking the titles off this man is, and then he wants to talk about Andre this man is undefeated unbelievable the winner the king Andre you know and basically Andre puts his hand on him like Captain Lou like enough you know like yeah. stop talking and they, they kind of push Lou to the background <laughs> to calm down and uh, it's interesting and then Jesse tells Andre we, we you know we don't always see eye to eye but he's like do me a favor pick up Bill Fralick and throw him seven rows deep <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Jesse doesn't like Bill Freilich for some reason. I guess Freilich maybe had said some stuff in some interviews against wrestlers, like about how much tougher football players were than wrestlers. Or right. That's what I'm kind of remembering. And, <laughs> and Andre says, yes, Jesse, what are you going to pay me for that? <laughs> <laughs> and Jesse replied, what does the Battle Royal winner pay? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to teach these football players a lesson. 
<laughs> and Andre just says, you know, either way, he's going to win the Battle Royal, and maybe you'll need your help, and maybe not. <laughs> so Andre's not paying attention that Je- Jesse's going to be in L.A., <laughs> you know, for the Hogan match. Ah. He's not going to be in Chicago for the Battle Royal. So, of course, the music plays over, like, the last 30 seconds of the clip, making it a bit harder to hear and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was a pretty funny segment, like this weird alliance between Jesse Ventura and Andre versus the football players. Yeah. <laughs> Take your Super Bowl shuffle and shove it. That's right. So last couple of things here before we can get to WrestleMania 2. So there's an April 5th primetime edition and just there's an Adrian Adonis match. And this is where they noted he started using Carly Simon's You're So Vain as his entrance music. Wow. Uh, I did not remember that. Yeah, I, I can't say I ever heard him come out to the ring to that. That's for sure. And then here we are. We're here. It's April 7th, WrestleMania 2. And we're not going to cover it. The one note I think which is interesting is that it notes Chris Jericho was in attendance at the Winnipeg Closed circuit location. <laughs> and so was I. That's right. So was Jeff. So it's listed there as the Civic Center. Now, do you remember, were you at the arena or were you at the convention center? Arena. Okay. So it should say the Winnipeg Arena, but they list, listed it as the Winnipeg Civic Center, which is not a thing. <laughs> they used to wrestle at a place in Winnipeg called the Winnipeg Auditorium. Right. And I have a dear friend who just told me that he and his buddy used to go watch a watch the AWA when he was 14, 15 and they had folding chairs that they would bring in. And, uh, <laughs> I guess this place is near the legislative buildings and the older buildings, this Winnipeg auditorium. Anyway, he said, Mr. X was wrestling. Whipper Billy Watson was the, uh, big face at the time. Right. And mad dog Vachon was a heel. So he and his buddies at like 15 or 14, not quite kids tells me. So they went to go <laughs> cheer Vachon. And they went up to the ring to cheer him on, but he turned around and charged them and rah, stuck his face. And like they chased him back to their seats. Right. Anyway, so these kids decided, well, you know, uh, Uncle Jim and his buddies were cheering the heels all night. Yeah. And what Jim said to me is that there was an old guy sitting beside, behind them, quiet yeah. as could be, smoking cigarettes the entire night and watching the wrestling match, minding his own business. But they were being quite obnoxious. Jim and his buddies. So about 10 minutes after the everything had wrapped up and they'd gone home, somebody took a look at Jim's friend's jacket and said, hey man, look at the back of your jacket. And he took it off and inspected it. It was full of tiny little cigarette-sized burn marks. The guy had sat oh, there wow. burning holes into his jacket the entire <laughs> night because he'd been cheering the heels. So the guy got his revenge by ruining the kid's jacket, oh, which was geez. hanging on the back of his chair. Oh, I see. He wasn't wearing it. I was wondering, like, how did he not No, it wasn't that? torture. Yeah, it was yeah, just, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, sneaky sabotage. Well, I almost thought it was like, you know, maybe those layers to the jacket so the outside layer would singe and you wouldn't even feel it or who knows, right? But now you <laughs> that's see. That's funny. <laughs> That's pretty good. So I want to take a little break here because we're not going to cover WrestleMania 2, but I just want to like just let's just jump into, and we've already touched this on this a little bit, but I think we can we can flush it out more. I want to jump into a what if segment here on WrestleMania 2 because there's so many missed opportunities that we feel. We've already discussed a little bit of this, but I think there's more to discuss. So we've talked about the Paul Orndorff Morocco sort of botch about like the placement on the card, the lack of apparent feud or storyline realizing what the storyline could have been, you know, how that could have been better. So we've kind of already addressed that. We don't like the the Piper T-Main event, Savage with his Intercontinental title playing second fiddle to this weird boxing match. Like, you know, the IC champ's not the headliner, but that's kind of stupid. Plus a non-match with George Steele. Yeah, and so we've, again, we've, we think we enjoy the George Steele Savage matches more now than we did then, but this is step one of this, is who else 
what better intercontinental title match could we have maybe had at this card? You know, it doesn't mean George doesn't wrestle Savage in other times, but maybe we could have had a better match here. So, oh, yeah, for who, sure. You know, who would you have liked to have seen him wrestle there? Oh, wow, that's a good question. I uh, hadn't given it much thought. So you tell me your idea, and maybe something will come to me. Well, I, I think that, you know, you look at the host show loop, and it's still all Savage Tito. Like, all of Savage's matches around this time are still against Tito, and he still has the odd match against Hogan. He's still, like, you know, every month or two, it seems like once or twice a month, he's got a pretty big title shot against Hogan. But he also is wrestling Tito a lot. And so Tito's kind of the obvious one. I think that definitely that would have been a better match. That would have been maybe a nice way to button up their feud, you know, like to kind of wrap it up as... Because Tito did win so many host show matches against Savage before Savage won that title. So I think that's one. I think another one, and we talked about this maybe, you know, half a year ago, they would have had to set up a storyline and make it work. But I would have loved to have seen a title shot from Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff against Savage. Yeah. I was just thinking that, but I was also thinking that they could have um, had a really memorable match with Morocco if they had just built it right. Yeah, exactly. You don't even need to take Orndorff out of the Morocco match if you actually build it up properly. If you bring Morocco out on the main event to save Hogan, if you... It's kind of the best booking for Orndorff at this point. Yeah, if you you give Orndorff some some mic time, some proper mic time to to set it up, to let people know what that feud is about and put it in a proper place on the card. you know, and also, you know, a couple confrontations, the promo, the attacks, this, you know, there's nothing. They just yeah. like I, I had forgotten these two even met at WrestleMania two. Yeah, because of the lack of builds, so they, right. they really did botch that. Uh, if not for that, I was thinking, yeah, uh, Orndorff would put Savage to the test. Yeah, and but somebody also now that I think about it, I wouldn't. Tony Atlas got such a raw deal, and he's yep. really on the scene at this time, and he looks fantastic. Yep. And he had a singles match against Savage, like That's we right. covered in another one. So, yeah. but and he's got no angle, but he's got no angles. That's right. Yeah, and he's not even on the card, is he? Uh, I'd have I to check know. to see if, he, yeah. I, if he's in, I don't know if he's in the Battle Royal. I, right. I, I forget. I've heard the list of participants. I'm not remembering it because it's 20 names. I kind of feel like he's not. In the Battle Royal. I kind of feel like he's not on this Ah, card. Right. So that might have been good. I mean, if for no other reason to give Tony Atlas a little bit of a break because it seems like uh, he got a raw deal in the WWF. Yeah, it feels like George could have been in the Battle Royal and... Yeah. And, you know, lots of different people could have been. Another person... Mind you, now, now I want every match to feature Terry Funk. So I want <laughs> Terry Funk versus Savage for the ICU belt. Yeah. I want Terry Funk versus Hogan for the world belt. <laughs> Later that night, I want Terry Funk in the Battle Royal. <laughs> and, and, team up with his brother. That's right. <laughs> for what I can't believe, I forgot. You know, I'm sure we're going to, that's maybe the one exception. Yeah. Remind me of what they did at WrestleMania 2, the Funks. They wrestled Junkyard Dog and Tito Santana in what I'm going to call is the second best match on the card. Ah, well, I had forgotten that. Yeah, they're on the last, they're on the LA Okay, so basically Hogan. now we're, yeah. we're talking. Very entertaining. Great. Well, that's just a lot like what we just watched with, yeah. um, you know, summing Andre or Tito for Andre. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly, yeah. And and Jimmy Hart's not not wrestling, right, he's just yeah. in the corner. <laughs> oh, he, he actually, he really was terrific as a, as a partner. Yeah. And yeah. So one of the matches we covered at the beginning of this show will lead to my next part of this what if is, which is that for a little while on the books, the match at WrestleMania 2, instead of being Ricky Steamboat versus Hercules Hernandez, it was going to be Ricky Steamboat versus Bret Hart. Okay. Well, we covered that earlier in the show. Yeah. And it sounded like a, a masterpiece. Well, exactly. And I think it would have been, it, it, A, it would have helped with the lack of, like, let's say, quality matches that are on WrestleMania 2 because you've got a lot of very short matches. 
Now, they wouldn't have been able to do a 17, 16, 15-minute match. They would have probably had an eight minutes. But if, think about what they did in that match and then speed it up, right? You know, like it would have just been, you know, would have been really exciting to get like an eight or nine-minute match out of those two. Jim could have still been in the Battle Royal. Hercules could have been in the Battle Royal. Uh, right. <laughs> so I think that would have worked really well. I, th- I think people would have loved to have seen that. And I think that match would have gone on to sort of like hold up over time and be that match that people, one of the matches that, you know, when people talk about WrestleMania 2, they'd be like, oh, that Bulldogs match and oh, that Steamboat Bret Hart match. Those would have been the things that people would have come away talking about. So what did Steamboat do at WrestleMania 2? He fought Hercules. Ah. Uh, yeah. Mm, forgot it. It. It, was a de- it was a decent match, but nothing, nothing special. Mm. Okay, so we're going to wrap up the What If segment with the world title. So King yeah, Kong well, Bundy is, you know, it's, it's Terry Funk. memorable. Terry, Terry Funk. Funk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but we, we did that on Saturday night's main event. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, you tell me yours and, uh, yeah, I got a few. I, I, I think that like, not that I'm saying okay, I wanted Hoss, to see this. Hoss Funk. Hoss Funk. <laughs> yeah. I think that works. Even as less long as you for, made them look deadly. You yeah. Know, yeah. You would have had to have done like a lot threat. of build up there. So I, I just think that like for starters, John Studd could have easily seemed to have had the position that Bundy had in a way, right? Like he had more. Yeah. It's almost like he supplanted Studd. He as did. The big yeah. Man. Now. Studs in the promotion about a year before, at least a year before Bundy, because Bundy doesn't come in until just before WrestleMania five. So you have pretty much all of eighty four, where Studs getting a lot of high profile matches I against. Think you said WrestleMania five. Did you mean eighty five? I meant nineteen eighty five. Yeah. So just take the five and put it in the right <laughs> WrestleMania context. WrestleMania five. I'm like, what? I'm all over the place. So I think not that again, not that I really wanted Stud to be in that match, but. I just kind of wonder, I'm like, hmm, I wonder why he didn't get that match, you know, because he never really, it's basically like the Battle Royal is an extension of the Andre Stud feud from the year before, like, because it's kind of like they're the two key biggest players, let's say, you know, in the, in that Battle Royal. So looking at other things, we talked a little bit already about this, but Randy Savage could easily have been positioned to be in the title shot here because he'd had so many great matches against Hogan and, and had left Hogan laying in so many cases. You know, he he kept getting away. I saw another reference to another one of these matches where Hogan beats him and then Savage beats him up afterwards with the belt and off the top rope to the outside and all that stuff. So that would have been interesting. But I think that like another interesting avenue would have been to go fishing across the pond, so to speak, and really lay into the, you know, Americana of it all. And if Vince McMahon had brought over in time with enough time to build it, Nikita Koloff. Oh, because yeah. I think that that like that you know Russian like versus America thing, and we love Nikolai, but Nikita was scarier. You know, like he presented scarier. Like you know, by that point, because Nikita, because uh, our Nikolai had been sort of used very much in a as a bit of a comedy piece. Yeah. You know, he was he was not kept as a serious character. So Nikita could have been presented as a much more dangerous opponent. Yeah. He wasn't quite as big as Hogan, but he was a big, big guy. Yeah. And they could have had him choke Hogan with a chain or something on, you know, a Saturday Night's event or something instead yeah. of the Bundy squash. And Well, the whole, the, the real American theme, they had already dismissed Volkov as a threat, basically. Yeah, exactly. So I think that was an interesting one. And then this is just a wild, like, out there, like, never going to happen. But, like, I think at the time... A bruiser Brody, <laughs> like if he had been, in, you know, brought into the Federation in time to sort of establish himself as this big threat and, you know, that could have laid out. But, it, you know, I don't think he really wanted to, you know, necessarily lose clean to Hogan on the biggest stage of them all kind of thing. So I think he was very protective of his uh, character yeah, and he, his business. He was like the free birds moving from uh, promotion to promotion so often that yeah, he, I guess, you know, had that power and didn't want to get pinned. That's right. So yeah, that's uh, that's some some thoughts and stuff. And I know th- these things have been talked about forever by people. And you know what could have made WrestleMania two a little bit better. And I think that was it. I think one last what if is sort of like 
what if it was just from one venue? Because I think that the triple venue actually did hurt them in terms of the quality of the show itself, the show experience, and the layout of the card, and the way the the matches, the order the matches were in, and stuff like that. It would, it'd be interesting to kind of even just take those matches as they are, and then reimagine, you know, how you would present it if it was just mm. all in one spot. Well, okay, I have one more idea to throw out. Okay, if they had done it right, they could have done. A JYD heel turn. Yeah, yeah. For Hogan and Res- at WrestleMania too, that could have been exciting. Hogan versus JYD, but JYD like turning on the fans, trying to get that NWO yeah, heat. Right? Like when I was watching the the Saturday Night event that we're going to be covering, With Jimmy Hart in his corner. Yeah. JYD <laughs> after all this time. Yes, yeah. yes. So I did think about that. I did when I was watching the Hogan Junkyard Dog versus the Funks match from Saturday Night event, which we got coming up. You know, I was sitting there thinking like, yeah, that was you know. What if, what if they had a little personal trainer and somebody to kind of like babysit the junkyard dog and keep him out of the keep him out of the junk food in the evening and you know keep that keep his his physique yeah. and and be a real threat in you know end of nineteen eight you know mid nineteen eighty six he could he could be the guy that turns bad and and he'd been so like kept as that loyal like friend of Hogan's for you know all yeah, his time gatekeeper yeah but he was the main guy in his territory for years and like huge yeah. hugely successful like he could carry the show. Yeah, and I, I know I th- I'd have to look it up. We'll, f- we'll 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 bring this back next week with our uh, corrections and expansion section. But I know I think he wrestled as a bit of a heel like earlier in his cr- career. Mm. Uh, I think he, he had, had a different name. Before yeah, he had, yeah, he had yeah he had a couple of dog. well he did the he I think he had three names because he's got junkyard dog. He's got uh, he's he's he, he was one of those things where he like, he lost a loser leave town match and then he came back with oh. a mask. Okay. Obviously being junkyard dog All under right, the mask. Yeah. So that's the third one. But I think like you mentioned before. Junkyard Dog, he had another name, and I think that he might have been a heel at that point. I'll have to look up and kind of see what his, because I definitely think he was a heel at some point. And I know McMahon loves his baby faces and maybe didn't didn't want to spoil the, the merchandise sales for little kids that looked up to dog, but uh, I think you're right. I think that that would have been pretty neat, like a, a Junkyard Dog heel turn. Yeah, well, he's got the right there, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah. When then Jimmy Hart, it always surprised me that one at one point when Hogan showed up and Jimmy Hart was beside him as a face, like yeah, it, it just, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. To that, here 90, they are, ninety three. Like, all of a sudden, yeah. yeah. What what is Jimmy Hart doing? There? Yeah, there was there was a bit of a turn against Jimmy Hart by like I want to say either the Nasty Boys or one of his tag teams, you know, kind of turned on him. And then that kind of somehow turned him face. But it, you're right. It didn't make sense. It was kind of okay once he went over to WCW because that was sort of like a, you know, fresh start or whatever. But like for WWF, it was like, what? But yeah, I, I, again, just to follow up your idea, like, you know, just, I'm just envisioning like there's some kind of beat down on Hogan and then dog comes out to save him. But then he starts whipping Hogan with the chain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we know that there's fantastic storylines just ahead with friendship betrayal. Like they really are going to yeah. nail it in, the, yeah. in, in short order. For sure. Okay, so that's our that's our what if segment on WrestleMania two. And if you have any thoughts, if you have any ideas about like, let us know what's your fantasy match from WrestleMania two, or, or or even just changing how a match went laid out or something, you know. So email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com and we will be more than happy to discuss your thoughts and ideas and there's no wrong or right answers there's just Hulk Hogan versus Mel Gibson (laughs) Hulk Hogan versus Herb (laughs) (laughs) Burger Guy Herb (laughs) okay
right, so we're past WrestleMania two, and we got to get to Saturday Night's Main Event. So we're still we're still rolling along here. I noted that they uh, they do like an Australia and Kuwait tour right after this, so there's no American or Canadian matches for a little while. There's several, and you can tell by the names. It's only a Australia sec- and Kuwait. Yeah. Oh well, SD Jones is going to go. There cook you up. go. Yeah. So I did. I, <laughs> I, okay, let's do this now. I, I, I tried to look up some of that SD Jones because I was really curious. I was like, I wonder if it was like an '86. You even heard Monsoon saying, "Oh yeah, SD's going down to Australia. You know he loves it there, Jess." Yeah, because he gets to win. <laughs> so I tried to look it up. SD Jones didn't have much information about anything that I could find. And I was like, mm. but then I looked at Paul Roma and it does reference a short-lived tag team in the WWF between the two of them, SD Jones in the summer of 86. But, you know, they get a few wins and then they're disbanded. But what I also noticed on Paul Roma's information was that in the late 80s, he appeared on an Australian game show, with like the, the perfect match or something it's called. It's like a dating game show. So I'm wondering if that's okay. from around his time that he was in Australia. So maybe it's like, they say late 80s, so let's say 89. Because I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, Young Stallions, 87, 88, for sure. He's with Jim Powers, uh-huh. you know, and then and then they're, they're both of them kind of split up and go back to being kind of enhancement talent. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in 90, him and Hercules become switch over and become power and glory. So somewhere in there at 89 in that range, I think would be a good time that because he doesn't have to be there. Like you talked about the fabulous ones going to like Puerto Rico for a match in a month and then they're going to go back a month later. You know, like they're not wrestling there like 10 times in a row. They wrestle a card. They fly out, they come back a month later, they do another match, that kind of thing. So maybe that was that was kind of what it was like for SD and Paul Romer. Like they were they were keeping their WWF commitments, but hitting some Australia shows mm. is this hot tag team. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I only uh, that's more than I knew. <laughs> okay, so we got what we have now is April twelfth. There's a primetime episode and there's a Piper's Pit hosted by Jimmy Hart with Jake the Snake. Jimmy does a pretty good job, actually. He quivers with fear, and he talks about, well, oh my God, I got a little poodle, not a snake. What do snakes eat? (laughs) And he just thinks that. (laughs) Jake says, whatever I give it. And uh, you've got the substitute ace. Hoss is behind Jimmy Hart. So, uh, But there's a poster. Piper's face is bigger than anybody (laughs) on set. So (laughs) Roddy looms large over the whole interview. But it's great. Jake is very intimidating, and he's... Letting Damien squirm and crawl. You know, he's holding him, but Jimmy's just trembling like a leaf. So it's a pretty good promo. And, uh, you know, Jimmy's got the, he can talk. Yeah. This is Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South. And, you know, I'm substituting tonight for my good friend, Rowdy Roddy Piper, baby. You know, he's in sunny San Juan, Puerto Rico with a couple of his good chicks, baby. Uh, The Juicy Lucy girls, man. And he said, you know, Jimmy... You're the only man I know that can host my pit for me, man, the main man. And I said, don't worry, Rowdy, I'll do a good job. So my very special guest tonight is going to be none other than Jake the Snake Roberts, baby. A quick note. So I noticed on April 23rd, it's the first occurrence of Dynamic Kid missing matches. So there's all these matches with the Bulldogs where somebody else is subbing for Dynamite Kid. So there's a lot of different talk out there about when he got injured, how he got injured, and we see going Saturday's main event that there's an injury. We think it's a leg injury, but of course, famously, it's more his back and stuff, but I think some of that stuff kind of comes more to a head in the fall and at the end of the year than in the summer. I think I think here it's a it's a leg injury that he's, that he's sitting out on. So, so he could have injured himself right before winning the belts or right after? Some people contend that this the end of the WrestleMania 2 Bulldogs match is a botch. So there's the, the if you if you might recall at the end of the match, Valentine's got Di- uh, Davy Boy in a headlock, and Dynamite gets up on the second rope on the outside, 
kind of leaning himself in, holding onto the turnbuckle, and he calls to Davy Boy. And then Davy Boy basically pushes Valentine into the corner, and he rams Valentine's head into dynamite. And dynamite flies off the turnbuckles to the outside to the cement floor. And Davy Boy collapses on top of Valentine for the dramatic one, two, three, as some random cameraman is grabbing Brutus Beefcake's leg and preventing him from getting in the ring. Um, so that's kind of the, the end of that match, right? And a lot of people will say that Dynamite got hurt on that fall, that he hurt himself. Interesting, because there's so many of these jumps to the outside in modern wrestling now. Yeah. But if it was not intended, and if he, and there was no, there's no padding, so it's possible he could have injured his leg or his, you know, his back. But I think the back is more like a long-term thing. Like, it's not like, oh, this one thing happened to Dynamite. Like, I've heard several different things about his back, and we'll touch it more, like, when we do a main event in the fall, more when it gets around that time. But, yeah, so you got guys like King Tonga and Pedro Morales and Dan Spivey and Hillbilly Jim and B. Brian Blair. Like, he's got you know, Davey Boy and, 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 you know, all these different guys are wrestling matches, and sometimes they're weird matches like six-man tags and stuff like that. Yeah, there's Dynamite sits out for quite a while before we get to the main event. You mean the Toronto match, the main event? No, I'm no. sorry, the, the Saturday Night's main event we're going to cover here in May. Okay. Yeah, Saturday Night's main event. That's okay. Yeah. And then uh, it's just a quick note here. April 26th, the primetime episode is a Piper's Pit with the Killer Bees. And the reason this is important is because it's the final Piper's Pit for five months. Yeah, I took a look and, uh, you know, it's it's not too um, memorable. I mean, Jim Brunzel, I, I like to hear him. It reminds me of my AWA days. <laughs> so right. it's always good to see him in the picture because before he's done, he'll, you know, move to enhancement talent before he finishes his time with the WWF. Yeah. And Piper's his usual belligerent self. And they basically are, Brunzel's got a cast. So there's, of course, the mocking of the cast by the heels. And then they point out, yeah, well, Ace had a cast for eight months, which <laughs> you would expect. And then, uh, you know, they. The heels hit the bricks, leaving, you know, Brian picks up the microphone. Come on back here. But it almost gets physical. But there wasn't any big particular laugh lines. Like Piper right. often has really great, you know, jokes and not, nothing too funny in this one. But, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, again, just important to note, it's kind of like the finals Piper Pit. And I think in a way it's like the end of Piper's Pit because in five months it's a different Roddy Piper. Yeah. You know, like it's, and it's a different, yeah. and the, the point of the show right. that he's putting on is completely different. So, so really this is the end of an era. Yeah, uh, for sure. And the Piper's Pit. You'll have the Snake Pit later, but there's something special about Piper's Pit, especially the way that the Coconut Smash was in all these uh, clips that we saw, and it was really part of our introduction to the WWF, was Piper was the bad guy who could wrestle and interview and drive the story more than any other bad guy, more consistently, uh, you know, for yeah. a longer period of time than he was the number one bad guy. That's right, absolutely. So then we got... A really funny interview for, uh, there's a match going to be on April 28th on primetime. And before that, I think it's the week before, there's a Sheik and Volkov interview. Well, I think people should just Google this. There's, it's too classic. It's really <laughs> fun. Um, Sheik is on fire. He's, he's so fun. And, you know, he can't seem to decide whether he hates Gene. He seems to like Gene, but he That's also, right. yeah, he, he, he's got to remember to bully him a little bit, try to be a heel, right. but he seems to like Gene. So, you know, he'll be pretty nice, but then he'll eventually be like, what, you want to ask me something? You know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got to resist the temptation to like basically you know, try to imitate and recall the entire interview. It's it's full of great stuff. Miami, Wrestling City, Respect, Chic. That's right. 
Oh, he, he starts great. off with all the smart people in Miami yeah. and how they like him. <laughs> but he doesn't like the Americans who wave yeah. the flag and say USA, USA. And Volkov, you know, it sounds like he got a call Americans when he's come to Miami and would defeat that spider one, two, three, fair square. <laughs> so yeah, they're um, taking a tag match, and now they're going to do a couple singles matches. Uh, so Spivey's set to wrestle Volkov, and Kirshner is going to wrestle Shiki, which we're actually going to review as our uh, featured final match for this episode. Well, actually, we, that may not be the case, I think. Who knows what happens uh, this, by the time we edit yeah, stuff? It might end up in part two, this, okay. this match. So, Oops. Yeah. All right. Well, and we just may edit my little <laughs> my declarations. Anyway, what we will, we're going to cover the match that they're cutting a promo for. Uh, the which, final match of our setup. Yeah. So regardless of where we place it, it it is the, I was going to say climax, but I don't think that it's basically, yeah, the best part of the, uh, what are we, is it USA wrestling or what are we? This would be primetime wrestling. Primetime wrestling. So do they always have a feature matchup? Yeah, primetime was good for that. And this is where we're, we're into this era now where primetime wrestling on the, WWE Network is is a thing. It starting it around this time, right? There's obviously cards before then primetime wrestling episodes that just aren't on the network. But now we're into the juicy spot where we have every time we look at a month, there's going to be you know four depending five depending on how many Saturdays or whatever whatever day of the week it aired on Mondays. I think it might have been actually. There's going to be those episodes we can watch and see they'll a couple good matches. A, yeah, and, headliners but, but, in each yeah episode. They'll have good headline matches, but they'll also have like these juicy bits, these you know these interview bits and stuff that we yeah. don't always see. So. um Classic promo. Corporate Kurushner, remember you punk. I call you a punk. I just want to know what Olympic gene Corporate Kurushner been. How many people Corporate Kurushner he beat to in America? No. All American wrestling city, Miami. We're going to find out one more time. The Aaron Sheik always the best. And still going to be the best. Russia, number one. Iran, number so this is called Primetime Wrestling. That's correct, yes. On the U.S. Network, USA Network? I believe so, yeah. USA Network, yeah. All right. Well, apparently it's traditionally hosted by Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon, but just like we recently saw on Saturday Night's main event, Bobby Heenan is subbing for Jesse Ventura. <laughs> and they open the program talking about Jesse and lots of love for him, yeah. uh, predicting that he's going to win Academy Awards for the movie he's That's shooting. Right. I'm not sure which movie he's shooting right now. My guess is it's Predator, but I didn't go look it up. We'll figure that out for the second no. half of the show if we can. He was very I, cool. I, I guess that it's Predator. He was very cool in Predator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good movie. And I mean, primetime wrestling, everyone, I think, thinks about it. They think Grella and Bobby. It's like their show. They're together on this for years. But it did, like you said, it started as Grella and Jesse. Right. Well, so this is after WrestleMania, you immediately realize because uh, Monsoon eggs Heenan about Bundy's loss the entire program <laughs> over and over again. And Heenan right away says, We'll be pursuing litigation. And Jack Tenney and he's like, oh, give me a break. What kind of, what are you talking about? And then, then he goes, well, you know, on the other hand, Bobby, I got to mention, I got to hand it to you. That was an unusual cage. And he's like, unusual. He said, yeah, that, uh, hadn't seen that before. And, and I guess the door was kind of small. He goes, small, Ricky Schroeder, 80 pound weakling couldn't get through that door. Like, what kind of, we were, we, I, I knew we'd been cheated. The moment I walked through, it was pretty great. Yeah. And of course, you get mostly jobber matches, and and they come back, and Heenan will make a couple comments on whatever we've seen, and then Monsoon will egg him, you know, uh, or give him the hard time about Bundy. 
At uh, one point, yeah. he's talking about, there, you know, some bad knees. Bunny's in for bad knees. What do you mean <laughs> bad knees? And he says, oh, well, you know, on that little frame, little frame, 450 pounds. Well, well you've been hanging around a U-Haul lot all day? <laughs> so there's some, you know, he gets in, he's got some good comedy moments. Yeah. I think that an hour and a half or a two-hour program. It's a two-hour before commercial, like including commercials. Right. So plenty of opportunities for Bobby Heenan to get some zingers in there and for Gorilla Monsoon to be the foil. He's a pretty benevolent spirit, Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah, and I think the thing with this is instead of like hearing the voices just over the matches and occasionally getting a little peek at the commentary guys, because they're hosting it from a studio, like the comedy works a little bit better when they go back to the studio and you can see them both and the facial expressions and stuff like that when they're digging at each other. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Rene Goulet is still wrestling, <laughs> not right, so yeah. much, you know, yeah, hitting the big time, but he's he's still doing the job. I think he for seems Lanny Poppo, lots of the uh, the host shows when we go to look at like an right. MSG card or whatever, he seems to be yeah. in a match, yeah. And then he'll put on a suit and he'll be at every house <laughs> show and every card. You know, I'm not even but sure. I love when he they retires. made fun of the fact that he'd given up on his. I forget what they referred to it, but he was using a claw. Yeah, scorpion claw. Scorpion claw, and then Monsoon says something along the lines of, he "Hasn't won a match in eight months." Yeah, <laughs> the fate of the enhancement talent. Who was? Uh, I'm pretty sure he was probably oh, tag yeah. team champ. And uh, we'd have to look it up, but yeah, he was successful in the '70s and right. very early '80s. Yeah. So uh, Kirshner is the main event, and actually. Bobby opens with a really good burn before he gets, you know, on the defense for Bundy. He's, you know, deriding the face, of course. So the main event, if you will, of this card is going to be Iron Sheik versus Corporal Kirshner in a singles match. And Bobby says, like, Corporal, all those years in the military? <laughs> Shaking his head. And he only made it to Corporal? Oh, what a joke. And Monsoon says, oh, Come on now, Bobby. You don't know how many years he put into the military. And Bobby says, huh, about an hour and a half is too much for this country. <laughs> awesome burn on Kirshner. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was you know first and best joke of, of the broadcast. Otherwise, yeah, I wish that we had access to um, primetime wrestling. I probably would have watched that you know faithfully if i could have at the time but uh so let's let's get on to the main event yes uh so we just both watched it so we'll just we'll double team this one that's right so volkoff apparently is not worried about hulk hogan does he get to sing i mean no, like we he, didn't hear him sing i don't think yeah. he did yeah but uh the, you know they're certainly waving the yeah, iranian they're, they're flag probably in the ring together <laughs> yeah but it's a singles match so no they don't sing the, that that makes sense it's a yeah. singles match for the sheik so yeah. they don't sing the russian anthem no. just flag waving and Blassie's there in a awesome silvery sparkly jacket with his cane. <laughs> it kind of opens on him, giving like somebody in the crowd like the old uh, like arm in the ar- the arm in the elbow crook the fu you know like yeah up yours <laughs> up yours yeah. Also the way that you know Flair will cheap chat you yeah yeah. <laughs> so Kirchner makes his way to the ring. Uh, no music. Yeah, he did. Normally he'd have some sort of like patriotic music of some sort. They just didn't yeah. bother with it on this episode. But I don't even think do, he had a flag. We, no, we, he had a flag. We do hear Lord Alfred Hayes <laughs> make a comment as, oh. as Kirshner's coming to the ring, <laughs> Yeah, which you know what? us. I think you just go ahead and play that one because, okay. you know, to do it justice. <laughs> okay. His opponent will be making his way towards the ring from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, weighing 263 pounds, Corporal Kirshner. You people shut up! I don't say you are. Where's the corporal? Let's take a look at him. There he is. 
82nd Airborne with the stars and stripes raised high as the ringsiders are on their feet to welcome this youngster. I have never seen anybody get so high for their matches the way the Corporal Kirshner does. So he's busted. Yeah, <laughs> he's ratting Mc- out. <laughs> McMahon will want to talk to Kirshner about uh, substance abuse issues. Uh, no, no, positive. That's a challenge, Lord Alfred Hayes. I think the Sheik gets up the highest for these matches. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we hear. So, um, well, okay. Uh, it, it's, uh, of course, a Pearl Harbor job. Kirshner steps into the ring and Iron Sheik attacks him. He's still... Sheik has still got his robe and his headdress on. Kirshner really only has to remove a beret, That's I right, think. yeah. <laughs> but so in his full ring attire and his entrance outfit, Sheik attacks Kirshner and gets the quick upper hand on him. And you'll have to help me through the action. Yeah, you know, he gives him a nice clothesline. So it looks neat. Whenever Sheik is still dressed, he looks so different. So he does take off his headgear, but he keeps his, you know, his robe, his cape on for a while. I said to Jeff, it's like, he looks like a Sith Lord. <laughs> he's got the, the black cape, you know. Sheik Vader. Sheik Vader, yeah. Yeah, clothesline. And he's getting to him. And I think he gives him a back body drop once the bell finally actually rings. And he's, he has the advantage for a while. The one thing that happens a lot in this match is attempted back body drops that get reversed with kicks to the face. <laughs> Yeah, eventually you don't duck when you keep getting kicked. And uh, the Sheik has that loaded boot in theory. Yeah. You know, he kind of like before he kicks him with it, he'll tap it on the ground a couple times. Yeah, he he loaded it up a couple times in this match. And I would say that Kirshner didn't really sell the boot the way that a lot of other wrestlers would. They, he didn't really act as if he'd been kicked with a you know, steel toe or a loaded brick or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Whatever deadly weapon was inside that boot. Yeah, you kind of think that'd be a finisher at some point if there's like a foreign yeah. object in the boot. But yeah, it's just yeah. a wear down move. So it's it's pretty neat too. At one point, about probably midway through the match, Kirshner like it's like he does a vertical suplex and then he does a gut wrench suplex, and I'm sitting there thinking like, hey, he's stealing all Sheik stuff. <laughs> Come on. The commentators say as much as well. Usually it's the Sheik laying out those suplexes, but they look pretty good. Yeah, they did. Yeah. One thing we noted too is that in our mind, and we'd have to put video side by side, Kirshner looked more developed, more ripped coming out to the ring than he did in his uh, Saturday's main event match against the peace match against Volkov I would yeah. say could be an illusion but it looks like his shoulders are uh, you yeah. know the, ro- the roids are kicking in <laughs> yes <laughs> most shoulders less balls so again we have that situation like we did in the peace match where we've got the, the manager and the extra wrestler out on the outside, but they don't actually, till the very, very end, they don't really get involved in any of the cheating. There's no behind-the-back choking or trip you know, distraction trip-ups and stuff like that. So yeah, Sheik's, cheap shots. I think Sheik does really quite well in the match, and it looks like he's got things well, they, hand. Well, you know, Kirshner's come a long way. He got, you know, is beat down really quickly by Volkov on Saturday night's main event in his debut match. Right. She, he's laying out some offense this time now. He's, he seems to... So you're, be, you're talking about the peace match, right? The peace match, yeah, yeah, yeah. where where uh, Volkov, all he had to do was give him one knee. Yeah, it's because he had him. He his guard was down. He thought it was a clean match. Yeah, exactly. But still, you know, one knee because he didn't see it coming. Yeah, one knee, drop off the top rope, and then a knee drop, and then you pinned. Yeah, (laughs) welcome, welcome to the eighties. Yeah, not much cheating. So uh, Volkov looks tougher. I'm sorry. Kirshner looks like he can take more punishment this match. He's not going yes. down so easily. He That's went right. down. He went down easily in the peace match. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another another attempted back body drop by the Sheik is uh, reversed into a sunset flip. And Sheik looked a little bit like a you know like a teenage ninja turtle trying to get up. <laughs> he kind of Kirshner was in the way for him to roll over onto the side he wanted to to get up. So it seemed like he was kind of stuck on his back for a second. 
Yeah, Shiki's, he, he, uh, he's got a great body, but his abs are, are kind of a little bit swollen. You can't tell if he's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's he's uh, just got that. It's the muscle gut. <laughs> yeah, the muscle gut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe too much red meat or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I think I heard he was, they, Jim Ross had interviewed him on a radio show like a long time ago. Like I'm going to say like 2012 or something like that. And shortly after the Sheik had passed away, Jim Ross's show, you know, played that that episode that where he did this one-on-one interview with Sheik because actually what it was is these guys that were like personal family friends of the Sheik, like once he was living in the States, they these young guys who were not filmmakers, they went about and actually filmed a documentary on the Sheik, which is actually quite highly, you know, rated apparently within the community that saw it. And these guys were on the radio with Sheik. And it was pre- it's pretty interesting though, because they're just like, you know, they were they were part they helped Sheik get clean. Because she, you know, was still at that time was in the filming of this documentary was still heavy, heavy, heavy coke use, like going crazy all the time. Well, after, you know, her wrestling career was over and uh, they kind of were part of helping to kind of get him cleaned up. Oh, that's great. Bust their hearts. Yeah. So the match. Yeah. Villains on the outside stay out of it largely. We get, of course, Shiki can't get through them out match without trying the uh, abdominal stretch that's right and monsoon can't get through a match either. that's not gonna work you don't yeah. have a look at that he doesn't it. have the leg tucked and he's Doing not leaning back hard enough yeah yeah and so of course it ends in hip toss like just about almost every other abdominal stretch that's attempt right. and uh, what happens after that uh kirshner does a knee and i'm trying to remember there's a part where it's actually really funny. Sheik at one point is begging off. So he's on his knees and he's praying. He's bowing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's bowing to Kirshner. And I think it's Lord Alfred or Monsoon that says something along the lines of, the sun's setting somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when Kirshner comes in to get him, Sheik, like, you know, sneak sneak attack, grabs his pants, and then flings him over, basically over his head through the ropes, spills him to the outside, and then distracts the ref while Volkov immediately... Baseball bat swings Blassie's cane. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, yes, he, it is the cane. I thought it was more kind of like, uh, you know, like not so much because that's hard to control, hard to pull back yeah. on a baseball uh, strike. Sorry, I just meant he like it was it was more like an X chop, like he it was an overhead swing. Yeah, something you know. a little more controlled than the yeah. than than the full yeah, it wasn't wind up and sideways. Swing. It was it was down. It was a downward motion. Apologies, it was like beating up somebody with a baseball bat. But anyways, it's yeah. safe. It was that's all you need to know. It was safe and it looked yeah. deadly. Yeah, it looked deadly. And then he throws, he basically, the bell rings, uh, and you're not 100% sure. It seems like it's possible that it's a countout. And then Volkov picks up Kirshner and throws him back into the ring and gets in there so that they can proceed with, you know, getting on with some extra double teaming. Extra double teaming. Yeah. And we get the announcement, though, that it was, <coughs> it's not a countout. It was a disqualification. Well, not until we first have very clumsy Kirshner, you yeah. know, overcoming the villain team. Yeah, which, they're double teaming him. And then for somehow he manages to fight his way he's out. Always, he's always facing the wrong way, you yeah. know, leaving the heels kind of like that they're like they, they take a stunning blow. But then, then they realize, oh, shit, I should have double sold the stun because he didn't he's follow still, it he, up. He yeah, turned he's still, around. He's still, he's still leaving himself open. I should have fallen down or something yeah. because he's now vulnerable and I, I i look dumb not hitting him yeah and so and there's basically a lot of that. after he after he gets a few shots in he realizes he's you know probably can't win the two-on-one fight so he he runs and slides out of the ring and picks up one of those big padded folding chairs and throws it in the ring and and the bad guys take off i almost yeah. kind of wanted it to be like the road warriors where like you know you throw the chair in the ring and then yeah. they just they just pick the chair up <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's he, he so hard about 
but uh, they stretch out the ring announcement, so you're held in suspense. You know, yes, you watch all this right. unfold, and then they tell you uh, that Kirshner wins. But he's a big crybaby about it. The guy tries to raise, the ref tries to raise his arm, and he's like, no, yeah. and he's just sort of like too mad about yeah, being the loss. Yeah, like, get them back here. Yeah, oh, I thought he was yelling assholes. I mean, he was yelling Blassie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. Okay, so Kirshner picks up the win, but he's not happy. Yeah, and uh, you know, it was an exciting match to headline primetime wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> like the the last little promo going back to me, Monsoon and Bobby. Monsoon congratulates Bobby, thanks him for being there, and you weren't nearly as annoying as I thought you were going to be, or something along that line. Obnoxious, <laughs> obnoxious, yeah. And Bobby Heaton says, "Well, get used to it because I'll be back next week." Yeah, and then you know, eventually at some point, it's going to be a weekly thing, a permanent thing. So I do have one important note to kind of round out the month: April thirtieth in Fresno, California. Randy Savage is doing a title defense against Tito Santana and on his way to the ring gets into an altercation with some fans who are verbally abusing Miss Elizabeth. And from the sounds of it, probably going beyond they've done something to the point where Randy Savage, in an attempt to attack these guys, tries to punch them, ends up punching a 14-year-old girl in the face and knocking her down. Her name's Barbara Cope and she was punched in the mouth and knocked down and he ended up having to pay a $6,000 I don't want to call it a fine, but I don't know. He ended up paying oh $6,000. Uh, I saw a JPEG of a newspaper clipping about this. You know, Savage punches 14-year-old girl. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so. And there's Ooh. even, like, a picture of her, like, in, like, the hospital. Or, like, not, like, she's not, like, in a body cast or anything. But, you know, she's she's sitting in a <laughs> hospital bed. And, you know, I think there's a quote from her about, like, you know, didn't see it coming or something. I don't know. But anyways. Oh, that's, my God. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Bad unfortunate. Bad aim, macho yeah, man. That's, that's unfortunate. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> And then another note here, we don't have the we didn't have the segment, but it airs on May 10th and but it was filmed on April 1st. It's Savage and Elizabeth on the body shop, and that would be Ventura's last appearance for four months, sort of as we're noting here. This is like why he's gone, like right which is weird because I guess they mean his last appearance on that syndicated TV show because obviously he's at WrestleMania 2, which is April 7th, but that's the point. I also noticed that there is an occurrence of a Jake versus uh Jake the Snake versus Steamboat on May 1st. So that's the first time that we see Jake in any kind of match. And this is before Siren's Man event airs, but after it was filmed. Um, where they, So they fight each other there. And now at this point, Dynamite Kid's also appearing back on cards. So he's back wrestling with Davey Boy in their matches and stuff like that. Last note here on May 3rd is that Heenan's on commentary. And he mentions that he's got a meeting with Jack Tunney to get Andre suspended. Oh. Well, so much for the lawsuit about the cage and the small That's door. Right. Yeah, he's going for that. Yeah. So th- there is a storyline where J- Andre misses a, a match, a tag match or a singles match, and then he does get suspended by Jack Tunney. And that's where you end up. This is the birth of the machines. Because when Andre comes uh-huh. back, he's doing the machine gimmick, giant machine stuff. Right. So. Well, Andre has got plenty of attention in his future coming up. That's right. Right away. And we'll be covering here, covering it here on Legendary Wrestling Obsession because you don't get heat unless you put it on your Saturday night's main event. <laughs> That's right. Oh, we got such a treat for you this time. We got we have the number one contenders for the world tag team champions. They think it's the greatest team ever put together. We have the killer bees. This is the number one team. This 
is the number one team in the entire world, they say, and they got their little wing hurt. Huh? It's a big joke, huh, Piper? Well, it's kind of, it's kind of a big joke. I mean, first of all, how are you gonna, are you gonna wrestle like that? Of course I am. Hey, man, cheaters, 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 cheaters! Cheaters! How can you wrestle with a cast on your arm? That ain't right, man. That's cheating, man. All right, we're back live and here for our section on corrections, expansions, and giving more details on things we said or didn't say in the first segment of the show. Are you ready to go, Jeff? Contradictions. Contradictions. <laughs> Mistakes. <laughs> Uh, okay. Clarifications. So we'll just roll through these. Some of these will be rapid fire. Complaints. Complaints. <laughs> Beefs and bouquets. <laughs> um, so one of the things that was brought up, and this is just because we were talking about Bret Hart as a singles wrestler, and Jeff noted a really great match, a big moment in his career where he got to have this big moment on you know, cable TV against Randy Savage. And Jeff had mentioned it was on the main event, the Friday night show, but it was a Saturday night's main event because the main event... Randy Savage had a date with the Honky Tonk Man. I see. Was there only one? There was one per year from that point going the forward. The main event? Yeah, the and Friday. They're on, and they're on Fridays. Yeah, they, they became the setup to WrestleMania. So when Savage, uh, because this is when Honky Tonk hit him with a guitar. Honky hit him in, with the guitar in the fall the, of 87. I mean, wasn't this is basically when, this is the forming of the Mega Powers, isn't it? Like For sure, Hogan the fall comes, of 87, yeah. Okay, and it was a Saturday Night's Main Event, not a Friday? Yeah, that's right. So there's a, two There's two main events in question. One is where Hogan comes to his aid, the Honky Tonk Man, the Heart Foundation, the guitar, and then there's like... And what's the singles match there? Uh, well, you know, we'd have to go look at it. I, that was either, you know, that probably Savage was the, just the Bret Hart match, yeah. But that ended up being a Saturday Night's Main Event in November of 87, and then... Uh, February of 88, which is the big Hogan-Andre card, Savage fights Honky Tonk on that, on that card. Uh-huh. It's where he was apparently supposed okay, to win well, the Intercontinental title, but Honky refused to drop it or something, and so they had to figure a different way out. Yes, I see. All right. Well, I'll do some investigation on my own, <laughs> and if you don't hear from me, all right. Well, <laughs> it's no big deal. So we noted that Jesse Ventura was away and from his duties. So he's at WrestleMania 2, but there's other things he's not on, and that's because he's off to go film a movie, as Gorella and Bobby have, you know, noted, and as they're cheering him on for his Oscar, his upcoming Oscar award-winning moment. So I went and looked at it, and of course, Predator was his first movie, and I looked at the film, the filming of the dates, and it was March to June of 1986, which totally lines up with this time period. And uh, I guess he must have had it worked out that he could get away from the filming set for, you know, to make sure he was around in April for his uh, WrestleMania 2 obligations. But there we go. That's where Jesse was. Well, he had a... We've already covered this. Jesse had a much more um, respectable, as far as I'm concerned, run in Hollywood. The movies that he was in were cool. The movies that Hulk Hogan was in <laughs> were not. That's right. So Jesse has the last hey, laugh there. Gremlins 2 was a good movie. <laughs> Uh, actually, not, it not, was not not. Not, a, not a Hogan movie. <laughs> he just makes a yeah. cameo. And, 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 you know, I really liked the first Gremlins. Of course, yeah. And I I, I was not impressed by Gremlins 2. <laughs> it, it was like a completely different, you know, they yeah. went so hard on the comedy, whereas the first one had... Uh, it was a horror movie. It was pretty gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So also someone missing is... Uh, Roddy Piper, uh, you know, we, we noted that some of his Piper pits were 
uh, hosted by other people. So all I can find on this is that he uh, he returned in August after a leave of absence, and I've seen that listed in like 40 different places. I haven't seen anywhere where it mentions why he was gone, if it was a, you know, just basically needed a break, if he was injured, if it was a family thing, not really sure, but that just sort of explains why we see we get into this error. There are no Piper's Pits for a really long time. It basically is the reason that the flower shop, the Adrian Adonis show, becomes a thing is because it's sort of filling this this hole, this gap left by Roddy Piper not being around. So that's kind of what that's about. If anybody knows what Roddy Piper's absence is about, then hey, let us know. Well, Legendary Wrestling Obsession at gmail.com. It's maybe later that he uh, films a pilot with Jesse Ventura called Tag Team about two cops who, have, you know, I think that they... Yeah, that's further down the road. I believe right. his, his very first, you know... 4A is the They Live movie, which is, I think, starts filming in 87 or something like that. So uh, we're a little bit before that still. Okay. Oh, and uh, Piper's Slammy Award, since we couldn't couldn't grasp it off the top of our tongue, even though we did a show about it. (laughs) It was Best Personality for Land of a Thousand Dances. Another thing we talked about was, was Junkyard Dog a bad guy? So I I looked into it more, and I I was sure he was. I just wasn't uh, completely confident about that. So he had a few personas, per se. So he, he was Leroy Rochester. And then here it is, Big Daddy Ritter as a heel in Stampede Wrestling. That's where he was a bad guy. Ah, Stampede. Yes, that's right. And then, of course, he became the Junkyard Dog in Mid-South, and then he did his own version of the Midnight Rider when he lost a Loser Leave Town match and came back as, obviously, the Junkyard Dog under masked under the name Stagger Lee. Okay, there's a song from the 30s or something, a classic blues-type song, oh, I okay. think. That's Stagger Lee, That's yeah. neat. Yeah, there's women cheating, men shooting, <laughs> I think, or, or maybe women shooting and men cheating. There you go. I, I, I can't either, either way. There's some shooting and some yep. cheating. We also had talked about in the first, uh, the last episode, Jimmy Hart, like sort of, and how did he switch from bad guy to good guy, you know, with the Hogan thing there? And there was a segment in a the Brutus the Barber Beefcake Barbershop. This is after his accident when he's not wrestling, but he's like, you know, he's playing his, you know, his talk show host and Money Inc. attacks him and they use IRS's briefcase to smash him in the face and severely injure Brutus. And Jimmy Hart basically stays like the heels leave, but Jimmy Hart stays to tend to Brutus who's injured. And basically from that point on, Jimmy's this good guy manager and you know he's with Brutus and Hogan when they do their WrestleMania match against Money Inc. Is that right? Oh, I guess I wasn't That's paying right. much attention. <laughs> it's kind of forgettable stuff, but <laughs> Okay, another thing we talked about was the good burn that Piper got on Mr. T and his A-team ratings and why the success of WrestleMania 1 didn't necessarily carry over to WrestleMania 2 because Mr. T's star was burning bright <laughs> and it kind of started to burn out so i quickly looked this up people need to keep in mind that like t- television ratings are completely different now it's not even the same you know the ratings people were getting in the 80s aren't even achievable anymore outside of like a super bowl because there's just too many entertainment options there's too much of a di- diverse option to break up people's viewing habits but i was looking in 83 84 season they got a 24.0 like rating which is like that's massive i don't know what that relates to in like millions of people but it's just huge like the biggest ever you know the the hogan andre match which was like the biggest ever wrestling one i think that was like an 11 or a 13 let's say share and like this is 24 like that's you know almost double so that shows how popular a team was in 84 85 it was still hanging in there at 21.9 and then this year in 85 86 16.9 so like they'd lost like you know a huge chunk of their audience and were you know 
trending down. Still sounds uh, like a respectable number to oh, me yeah. compared to the 11. If a TV... If that, are they 16 to 11, they're still winning, aren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. 16 is <laughs> still a really good number. It, right. It's just as far as like how big of a show it was because right. it was like basically the biggest show on TV for mm. a year or two. And any show like in the last 10, 15, 20 years would like, you know, kill their grandma to have these ratings, you know, like, right. you know, but that's just, they're not achievable anymore. There's too many mm. streaming services and internet and phones and, you know, all yeah, this other stuff to keep different. people busy. Yeah. So there was a point in the last episode where I, I referenced Morocco when I meant Orndorff. So not important, but I just, if you hear me say it, if you heard me say it wrong in the first episode, I'm acknowledging I made a mistake. We asked, is Tony Atlas in the WrestleMania 2 Battle Royal? And the answer is yes. Wow. He gets eliminated by the fridge. Boo. Yeah, it's an, it's not a good showing for I think he's out pretty early, so he's like he's people don't even remember he's in it because he doesn't oh. get much doesn't get much fanfare. Well also look you at know, the, the one thing about that is that Vince loved muscular physiques. So that's right. It's a that's a little bit contrary to uh, the treatment the rough ride he allegedly got from Yeah, yeah. I mean right. so so you would think that Tony Atlas would be right up there because of his amazing look. As you mentioned, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, whatever it might be, McMahon didn't see him as a big star, I guess, and decided to move on, <laughs> move on down the road. And he had more shine in 83 and 84. Yeah. Right before when we, you know, got, began our focus period. That's right. Yeah. So we're just going to quickly cover the six football players who were in the Battle Royal. Jimbo or Jim Covert, uh, and he was playing for the Bears at the time. We got our heel, Bill Fralick, who was a member of the Atlanta Falcons. There's Russ Francis from the 49ers. That would be the uh, NWA sneaking in in Atlanta as a superstation, that's isn't right. it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's ready <laughs> those, for them. Those WCW boys are <laughs> coming to cause trouble. Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. And then we've got uh, Ernie Holmes, who was actually a retired football player. He played for the Steelers. Uh, the last year of his career was with the Patriots, but he had a whole bunch of years with the Steelers, so we'll kind of say he's with them. And then the other guy who I mentioned who said, like, when he was asked the question, if he won, what do you do? And he said, uh, I'd have to take a week off and think about that. Like, so that's uh, Harvey Martin. He's also retired a couple years earlier. He was he played for the Cowboys. Is and there I'm, any personality between these six guys? <laughs> just the fridge. <laughs> right. Bill Fralick and the fridge, basically, were the two so you know, the guys that got. Did, how, yeah. did he, how did they, what did they do? How did they do that? Well, he, uh, basically, he, and I'll, I'll throw a clip in of it, he, there's an interview with me and Gene. I think he did several of them, but he was calling Stud the Dud. <laughs> and he was making fun of his legs and saying, oh, he was going to throw him out and he wasn't going to be a challenge. And so, okay. and that's why John Stud got mad at him because, ah. you know, he was bringing his name up in these oh, interviews. Good. Right. They, they sort brought of like a... Stud wanted to give him the Andre treatment that Andre gave to Stud. Well, <laughs> Stud that's great when really. you blur those kayfabe lines, right? That's yeah. a little more fun. Yeah. I have heard a story. I don't know how true it is that like the night before WrestleMania. More interesting anyway. Maybe not John fun. Stud <laughs> grabbed. Bill Freilich by the throat and pushed him up against the wall and kind of lifted him up off the ground a bit. Um, but there's no like confirmation that's a real thing. Wow. <laughs> that's interesting. I wouldn't want John Studd pushing me up against a wall. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I'm not Bill Freilich's size, so I guess I mean, who knows, right? <laughs> mm. I thought it was, so how many bears? Two. Yeah, two out of six. <laughs> two out of six, okay. Not bad. <laughs> Did anybody else have a team, though? Everybody else was just all single? Yeah, yes, right. Everyone else was kind of alone. No, no, yeah, so it ended basically four on two. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Get those goddamn Chicago Bears. 
That's right. <laughs> in Atlanta, Falk and Bill Fralick, you've got a lot of teams in this one. You've got the Heart Foundation. You've got the Killer Bees. You say you want to go it alone in this battle royal. Well, I don't need one, Gene. I'm taking it upon myself to get the dud out of the ring, and he's going to be the first one out, and I guarantee you with his spindly little legs, he's going to go down. All right, Bill Fralick, that is pretty strong. I know you've got a tremendous amateur wrestling background. This is professional wrestling. It may be something just a little different. Let's hear those NBC chimes and get on with Saturday night's main event. Corey allocated the intro to me, for which I curse him. Okay. Yes. Oh, I have never been more angered by the lack of the music that I like. Oh. They have this fucking terrible it's just cringe i'm furious like i really think it's a disservice you know all around and it's very distracting so we'll i'll just get that off the table and then describe what you see but unfortunately what you hear is not the what i remember or even the secondary acceptable theme song that Corey doesn't mind right something like it sounds a bit like um, the opening to SCTV at one point in the many years, um, but you know, which to which I don't object, you know, on its face. But you see this slithering snake, and then you have this weird kind of like half peppy up beat you know cheesy elevator <laughs> yeah. music that it's not cool there's no rocking electric guitars yeah. it's kind of like just horrible instead of like my memories of this compelling song that dump dump you know like yeah our opening of well course. the thing is they usually use two songs of course the 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 monologue part the in, the interview part usually has something like okay like remember like the exorcist music you yeah know? now that was and then cool. it then it kicks into the theme song the right. the animation the uh, whatever you but, get one second of animation you can hear it right. right around hogan's part of the opening you hear the and then it goes into the uh, the second prob- Saturday Night's yeah. yeah. What do you think was originally brought? Do you know? That's my problem. Is all these other episodes? I quite easily can find notes that people wrote down about like what song was playing where. And this one, I looked in all the same locations I've always looked before to find this information, and there's nothing listed. So I don't know. And again, like you know, I've seen this episode like a hundred times, hundred fifty times. Like I definitely know that. The crappy music we're hearing is not what was playing, but I I don't know what it is. Well, precedent, it would be perhaps a top forty song or something. I would think so. I would know, think it would be some sort of a, yeah. They haven't they haven't switched away from that stuff quite yet. So I think that they still would be using something you know, on the radio that you'd yeah, recognize. Exactly. Okay. Well, anyway, so I, uh, but I don't really curse Corey because he's my dear friend. So uh, <laughs> he's got a family. So he he's spared the curse, right. the actual hex. But oh, the thing you. is, is that I had to watch this intro eight times to make my notes and listen to this shit music eight <laughs> fucking times and I never want to hear it again. Oh, I don't even know what it's drowning out, but I hate it. Oh, oh yeah. I hate it. All right. So as I said, the opening shot, you get the slithering snake and it, you have basically Gene Mean is uh, his, he's got a voiceover. So we're listening to Gene Mean and uh, the first thing we see is Damien and Gene Mean is saying the ancient symbol of evil, the slithery snake. Can anyone ever put an end to it? And you know, some dramatic uh, language there. Uh, then we get a, pic- a close-up of Ricky the Dram- Dragon Steamboat. And we we actually get to hear him say, Hi-yah! I'll slay this <laughs> slithery snake. Uh, then they give us a look at Jake, but we don't hear him speak. It's just yeah, a picture. Yeah, this, this is a bit different, this whole idea of, yeah. like, of like the narrator kind of doing most of the work. At least he's not speaking and we don't get to listen to him because in a bit, somebody gets that treatment. 
<laughs> so um, then Gene Mean tells us that it's the Battle of the Big Boys and we see a scale and I actually I think this is really cool I like the visual here is awesome they got a split screen with Bundy on the left and uh, Uncle Elmer on the right and they're both on the scale and it's like the 400 plus club and uh, it just looks cool the two of them right. basically stacked up against each other yeah, yeah. and also what's this it's so odd Elmer is, looks like six inches taller or four yeah. inches taller yeah but- I noted like Elmer looks way bigger than Bundy yeah he's weighs less <laughs> that's right the uh, other notable thing is that Bundy if you look closely is uh, in his flip flops so not quite ready to fight <laughs> ah, I didn't notice that unless that's he's gonna great. go kick Van Vader's ass or... <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but okay so after that Gene Min tells us that it's the first defense for the, our beloved British Bulldogs. And they're going to defend against the uh, Sheik and Volkov. We're seeing the Bulldogs in the locker room. And it's cool because the card posters behind them were like listed the wrestlers and who they're fighting without any pictures, but more like an old boxing poster, you know, oh, like okay, the yeah. lineup. I was trying to find undercard wrestlers looking really closely and pausing yeah, to see if yeah, I could yeah. get any, but no, I couldn't tell. Anyway, eventually the two guys are like looking great with their belts. And it's yeah. just, I mean, we love to see them. We're excited. This is great. We're going to get our Bulldogs, especially since they did so awesome in the last Saturday night's main event. That's they right. made them look like superheroes. It was amazing. It was great. <laughs> and now I know why we are so endeared to the Bulldogs because they started so strong. So, the, you know, uh, the music's going and Gene is talking and uh, Dynamite Kid speaks, but the mics aren't live. So he's uh, talking. Look at that again. I didn't There's, catch yeah. that. Yeah. So whatever he says, you know, probably I'll fucking blind him or something. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get to hear him speak. Then we do get to hear Adonis. But first we see Paul Orndorff and Adonis is tickling his ear. But it's a cardboard cutout. Okay. So uh, Adonis is now transformed from this tough biker look from the AWA. I mean, he didn't. To me, he looked just like more like a regular wrestler in his AWA dies days when he came to the WWWF or you know whenever that transition regular happened. WWF, yeah. yeah, he was wearing kind of like biker leather and tough guy caps. Looked like a motorcycle gang kind of guy a little, a little bit. bit. As recently as Land of a Thousand Dances, that's how he looked. That's and right. he was threatening to slice you like a French fried potato. So he was a, you know. <laughs> so now. Still a tough guy. He's got Christmas bows in his hair and one of his eyes is painted blue and pink. So he comes into, it's a close up of the cardboard cutout of Paul Orndorff and Adrian and Don says, I've always wanted this man. And, you know, they're, they're going for what they're going for. The last part of the intro with this horrid music still going is really awkward. It's JYD and Hogan with their mascot, the Haiti Kid, and he's got one arm, the Haiti Kid, this uh, vertically impaired wrestler, our little guy, has got one arm around each neck, so they're holding him up, and uh, the clip goes on to see Hogan kind of losing his patience with the whole thing. You know, like he's <laughs> subsequently been shown to not as comfortable with uh, black people as... Yeah, so anyway, he doesn't... He looks like he's not i haven't it's awkward i'm almost now that i know what i know about hogan uh, but he's just like it's almost like at the end like he's thinking like get off of me because like haiti kids kind of like they're hanging on his neck i don't like anybody hanging on my neck like the neck is a pressure point that like just don't mess with people's necks and spines right so anyway so this the three of them are like thumbs up and hanging but it's like a 12 second shot yeah where it's it's all voiceover like you know for that part part and his legs are kicking and 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 i'm like hogan's not gonna talk yeah but like you know just standing and you know so it's awkward because he can't even speak the beginning of many references these three are gonna stand tall so there's gonna be a lot of you know 
cringy humor about this uh, you know midget wrestler. Hogan does tell us actually after the pose, they cut to comments from Hogan where he says, "We've got a big surprise for the Funks," but they don't. There is no surprise. <laughs> no surprise ever happens. <laughs> then we go to our very familiar montage of the uh, Saturday Night's Main Event, which is still. Hogan and Piper fighting and Hogan slamming Piper, Hogan booting Piper, Hogan posing at the, you know, <laughs> pointing the finger at the camera. So that doesn't change. It's like six episodes and they kept that consistent, the, That's right. the visuals at the start. And then it's mostly the other visuals are wrestlers who are actually on the card with a couple of, of exceptions. Corporal Kirshner sneaks in there because he's wrestling the Sheik. <laughs> you get a look at him and you get a couple uh, clips of the Bulldogs, presumably in the WrestleMania 2 match. So the Dream Team, the ex-champions are not on the card, but they do appear in the opening credits. They're there taking some headbutts. <laughs> That's right. Then we see that the Funks are already in the ring and they're going to have That's to right. wait a while because right. we yeah. now cut to Vince and he's with, uh, well, who's he with? Yeah, so you find out that Jesse Ventura is not going to be doing his regular role of commentary, but he's brought in his backup, his substitute, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And unlike the last time that Bobby was there, he's loaded and ready for bear for this show. Like, he is basically on fire. He is nonstop one-liners. It's quite funny. Um, unfortunately, some of the jokes wouldn't land very well today. So it's sort of like... It's, a lot it, of the it, jokes. A lot of the jokes. Especially, the, oh, you know, the Haiti kids stuff. A lot of it's like, uh, So it, that kind of takes away from it a bit. But, you know, Bobby just shows he's like He's playing his, a character, remember? He's playing a character. Yeah, he's exactly. He's a fictitious he's a heel, villain. Fictitious heel, uh, villain. And he's quick on his feet, and he's got a he's yeah. got a ret- he's got a retort to everything. Like he's really, you know, he's really good. So actually, I, I after watching it, I'm like, oh, this is better than Jesse. I, I, I mean, yeah, they, they, have, they have a different they have a different style, but definitely like Jesse Jesse, you could get some laughs out of him, but not, never never to the level of what Heenan can make you laugh. Like yeah, Heenan he, can make you laugh like nonstop. Very witty. Yeah. So uh, as Jeff mentioned in the background, which is nice because it really you know these are those episodes where you can tell like the announcers are actually in the building and you know this isn't voiced over afterwards so you can see the funks and jimmy hart you know they're in the ring and they're kind of you know yelling at the fans which happen to be in the same direction of the camera so it's almost like they're yelling at the camera even though you can't hear anything they're saying because they're quite far away so (laughs) that's when when vince introduces bobby he says also known as weasel (laughs) which sets bobby off and the crowd's chanting weasel yeah and they're chanting i'm here to add some class to this show (laughs) and look at how i'm dressed my suit hangs in my closet yours has to be back by noon tomorrow (laughs) he's accusing mcmahon of having a rental yeah that's pretty great (laughs) and you can see like jeff said the the funks like terry's got this like red poncho and you know whatever hat and uh, white hat, blue chaps, I think, and Haas has got that long coat that Jeff described. I don't know if it's the same color as the other one, and kind of off white so. or something, yeah, and yeah. yeah, all that stuff. And this is where we go to pre-recorded footage backstage with Mean Gene and the Funks, and they're playing catch with the megaphone, which <laughs> will always come in handy if Jimmy Hart's your manager. That's right. So they're tossing it around, and uh, yeah, I, I just love how Terry Funks this playful kind of. Slightly goofy but tough as hell character. Man, he's he's fucking iron made of just fucking adamantium. Yeah, Terry that's Funk. Right. <laughs> and Haas is very straight laced, but it, it just works. I, I, I didn't realize how great the Funks were. So the context is that remember that at WrestleMania 2, the Funks, they defeated JYD with Tito, of course, with the megaphone. And so that's we see right. that clip. Yeah, they show us that to remind us of uh, the stakes. Yeah, that, you know? that megaphone getting thrown in and caught and <laughs> used yep. to nail JYD, which. Hence the plane catch. It's just very interesting, you know, that uh, Hogan's shifted 
from in his own feud to now he's he's part of JYD's storyline. Yeah, I mean, he's circling back to having had that title shot on Siren Train event against Terry Funk. But I think as a kid, I didn't really relate the two things. Like, I knew he had a title defense against him. But again, coming out of WrestleMania 2, I was like, oh, why is Hogan in a tag match with against the Funks? It didn't make sense. It didn't really. And um, it also takes away from Bundy's momentum to just like put him into the Uncle Elmer. I guess we're now doing the broad strokes already, but uh, yeah. just interesting booking that uh, Hogan, it's not his story tonight. Particularly, I mean, but you, you make a good point that uh, Hogan had the funk, but really, I mean, we've been talking lately about JYD's angle is his feud with Jimmy Hart, yeah. and that's way what's happening here, you know, and Hogan's kind of like just uh, auxiliary almost, you know, in Maybe. this one. Because yeah. uh, furthermore, as we covered uh, pretty thoroughly, uh, this exact, set up with Andre substitute Hogan. Yeah. So that just goes to show you that like, they're like, okay, JYD put him with like our biggest star and like, um, we, you, you're good. You know, the yeah. hunks versus JYD and Hogan or Andre. And like, yeah, so. it's interesting. I saw a comment that somebody wrote about this a long time ago, has, you know, like just about just this match in general and saying that, Oh, this is the first time I'm sorry. event that they put the number one and number two baby faces together in a match. And I'm thinking they're going like, Season one, Hogan and Andre, Doom Team? Like, we, we didn't see that? <laughs> it's, yeah, interesting uh, perspective. Yeah. So uh, in the dressing room, uh, after the clip of WrestleMania 2, uh, Jimmy Jack Funk makes his appearance. That's right. And can get no love. They don't give a shit about this guy. So a guy, right. you know, they, they don't put their arms around him. He doesn't get to speak. Uh, he's behind them. Um, so you barely yeah. get a look at him. I mean, you, you do. And he's got a disguise, kind of like a Lone Ranger mask, not That's a right. wrestling mask the way that they cover their full faces. Just like, yeah, covering his eyes and nose sort of thing. He's also got a noose around his neck and it's a, and that's a cowbell. And uh, he kind of, you know, storms around in the background, but that's it. He, didn't, yeah. he doesn't speak. You and, have to imagine that Terry and Dory probably weren't the biggest fans of, like, making up a fictional brother for them or whatever he's yeah. supposed to be, so, you know. So no love for, for Jimmy Jack. The other thing is that's interesting about Haas is that he's wearing, what he's wearing is what you feel like he he rode to the arena in that outfit. Like, this is what he wears in his everyday. He's in his civilian clothes, which most wrestlers, you don't see them in their civvies, you know, like, uh, I mean, except for Ric Flair, his civilian outfits are, you know, $3,000 suits. So, you know, he'll wear that, you know, but I mean, I guess that was more of an NWA thing where they would come on in their street clothes. That's like, right, yeah. You know, um, so Haas, he, what he's wearing, he, he could jump on a tractor and go and and tend to the the, the the harvest. That's right. There's something, you know, definitely authentic about the funks. They're not really faking it. Definitely, you know, they're very real. No. They're real cowboys. cowboys. Real cowboys. So the funks are still waiting in the ring. And now we got Gene Mean with Hogan and JYD and the Haiti Kid. And they've done a strange match. You know, like, it's almost like Hogan's looking for his own personality because he slapped on JYD's chain around his neck. And he's like, hey, everybody, look, I'm JYD. And JYD's kind of like, all right, I guess I'll put on a Hulkster shirt. So he's got a Hulkster shirt. It's <laughs> yeah, kind of reverse roles. Yeah, here. it's a little odd. And I don't think they really naturally mesh as a team. Yeah, and Haiti Kid's got the, Hulk, the Hulkamania shirt on as well. And, you know, I got to be honest, the first time I saw that clip again, 
I didn't notice the chain right away. So the first thing that popped my mind is what we talked about in the past is like just JYD just totally being disrespected. Like this is his feud, yet he's wearing Hulk shirt and they're going to go to the ring to Hulk song. And like, you know. Like, yeah. Well, <laughs> kind of interesting promo because of what actually gets said. Uh, eventually, um, so Hogan says something that didn't uh, particularly catch my attention, but uh, Mean Gene says to JYD, oh, well, and then Haiti Kid has some comment about Jimmy Hart's red underwear, whatever. Finally we get to JYD. Why do they hate you? And he said, I'm one of the top dogs. And he goes, I am the top dog. Hogan's standing right there. That's right, yeah. 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 There's that, that heel turn we wanted. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's that heel turn we wanted. You know, that it's all there and laying right for us. Man, this would have been it. He could have oh, done it right after the match. Yeah. Chain around his fist and oh, punch Hogan in the, from behind. Man, I'm telling you, that could have like given JYD like the, the money, the sellouts, the main events. <laughs> Booked the Superdome. They could have sold it out. Yeah. Uh, and lose 15 pounds while you're at it, JYD. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back that 85, JYD. That's 84. That's what we want. That's what we want. And But then when it turns to Hogan, Hogan says, JYD is one of the most popular wrestlers in the world. So yeah. it's interesting that they're acknowledging. And really, uh, Saturday Night's main event has leaned heavily into JYD. Yeah, he's been presented as the second most important wrestler in a way because he consistently is on the show, even if he's not maybe being featured the best way. I mean, he's he's been there, you know, every single card, you know. Yeah. Hogan and JYD cannot have a high five, a low five, give me five, nothing. I'll give five bucks. They are just so clumsy and awkward. Yeah. Like, like it's a ends up being these, you know, you guys don't look cool. It's just, <laughs> you, you got to rehearse this shit, you know. It's no secret handshake club. It's like, That's how true. do you, what? I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, forget yeah. it. Just, and, and it continues. <laughs> yeah, I know. They can't get shit straight for the save their lives. Anyway, um, but uh, I do like how the audience can hear the interviews and like, so now let's go to the ring and the crowd pops and so they make their way to the ring. Either we don't hear it or they just cut out the slow beginning. I am a real American. <laughs> I mean, it takes a long time to yeah, get yeah. to the... And that's when it starts to drive and that's pump, right? Yeah, right? So right. I think yeah. there's a point where they just like cut that slow part, you know? Or so maybe that, they start playing it earlier than we yeah, know and we can't can hear it. it. Slow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It gets That music gets exciting when the guitar kicks in. We get to see some of the spots, like Corey said, like it's like they're working out their uh, spots before they get to the TV show. So we, uh, the action just starts like right away. Well, like, I, th look. I think before the match actually starts, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's a bunch of stuff going on, but one of them is that like Jimmy Hart's arms are over the top rope and he's being like pulled off the apron by the Haiti kid. <laughs> it looks really funny. What we have is JYD does the, uh, something very similar to what we saw already, which is he slams Terry Funk and Haas runs in for a scoop and a slam <laughs> and just in time for Terry to take another slam and then for Haas to take a slam. And then a JYD, or rather Hulk Hogan pretending to be JYD, That's he right. takes his moves, he goes down to all fours and does his scuttling headbutts the way JYD yeah. does. And he, and he taps the mat to let him know he's coming before he does yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, they clear the ring. And, and I think around that point, yes, indeed, Jimmy yeah. Hart gets yanked <laughs> to the floor from the apron as Haiti Kid reaches up to grab his ankles. Well, he's kind of like, you know, bouncing him up and down because Hart's whole, got his armpits over top the top rope. It's kind of perfect. It's hilarious. And then he scoots under the ring to get away from the funks. There'll be a lot of that, but he doesn't <laughs> always get away. That's right. <laughs> so Hogan's wearing all white. I do prefer to see him mix up his look. That's right, yeah. JYD is also rocking the white tonight with his full-length tights. <laughs> so the match starts with hoss and dog, horse and a dog, walk into a bar and 
get into a fight. So the uh, the early advantage, as it usually happens to fall, goes with the good guys. Imagine that. And uh, so Dog is, uh, you know, slams Hoss and Terry Funk comes in to try his luck. And, you know, he's just so great because, you know, as he comes in, he's squared off against JYD, but they're move- circling each other. So when he circles each other, he realizes, oh, Hogan's behind me. And he just does lots of spins. He's always spinning. Like, I think he does like a full rotation and a half because yeah, yeah, he's looking yeah. at Hogan and he's looking at JYD and he's looking at Hogan it's just he's, he's just got this way of commanding your attention in the ring he's always doing something he's he's just I didn't realize how great Terry Funk is I know he would go on to be master of the hardcore you know this is not That's the right. persona yeah. yet yeah yeah I, I actually prefer all this stuff to, oh yeah yeah I don't like barbed wire and yeah. you know yeah. stuff like that <laughs> Like once every five years, maybe or something, but yeah, this like every week, every match. Yeah. No, thanks. But boy, does he ever like go on to just show you how to stay in the spotlight and stay relevant, Terry Funk. That's right. Not only that, like, well, you'll see in this match that he's made out of fucking diamonds. He just because <laughs> he you know takes bumps into his sixties oh, and yeah. shit and seventies. Well, maybe I don't know. Anyway. All hail Terry Funk. Yeah, so he gets into the ring to try his luck against JYD, and he gets some punches for his trouble. And uh, I think he does manage to whip JYD, but JYD reverses it and sends him into the corner. But Terry Funk, he won't just take a turnbuckle; he'll take a ring post. Oh, it's devastating. He just like he ducks his shoulder under that turnbuckle and just shoulder tackles that post as if he's trying to break it. But yeah, really, you're the the guy's breaking up the post. So yeah. <laughs> But he manages to do it safely. Then he winds up outside where he's menacing anybody that gets in within two feet. I think there's some kind of timekeeper or cable guy you know, who just keeps people yeah. from tripping on cables. He's going to get a punch. So Terry's great at like just being so ornery. Like nobody's safe when Terry Funk is around. Right. And then he looks like he's going to come over and, and clobber Haiti. You know, he comes yeah. over to the threat and uh, Haiti kid. But Hogan and everybody chase them back to their corner. But they're not. He, Terry Funk is so quick that as soon as t- Hogan takes her eye off him he's like ha he runs and catches any kid and grabs him by the shirt <laughs> rips half his shirt off yeah and it looks like they're like hogan you failed you know they got him <laughs> so uh just yeah terry funk is just fantastic so we get the uh big guys if you will hogan versus hoss in the ring we get a side headlock from hogan onto hoss funk but hoss pushes him into the rope so that hogan takes the prompt and he bounces onto the other side hoss decides to go for a crisscross so as soon as you know as soon as hogan hits the ropes Hoss looks over the other way and like heads towards the ropes and that Terry Funk takes that as his cue to enter the <laughs> ring. Hogan grabs the ropes so he stays at the edge of the ring while the Funks are both in now and of course one's got blue, one's got red. And so they hit the ropes once and they cross each other. They hit the ropes back twice, cross each other. And then well, actually, in the, after the second bounce, they do a do do just like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, <laughs> but it doesn't work out so good because no. what we have is Terry Funk dances himself into a boot. <laughs> big boot, Hogan boot. Hoss goes to the ropes one more time for that extra oomph, and he takes a clothesline <laughs> for his do do <laughs> And he gets a cover by Hogan. One, two, and a kick out. So, so sorry. The, the, it's so good. This, the, you know, this is our favorite spot from that other match. Yeah. But the difference in the other matches, like this time, Funk comes from off camera. Like all of a sudden he's just there, you know, like him and Hoss are just running at each other, but you didn't see him come in. The thing that popped me so hard in the Andre match with Jimmy Hart is that like you can see Terry Funk coming into the ring to chase his brother and start running in the same direction at the same time as him. And that's what like yeah. made me laugh so hard. Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> recall seeing this. <laughs> 
Yeah, I love it. Especially since Haas is the ostensibly serious guy. <laughs> That's right. He's know, doing like the dozy do swing your partner around <laughs> and around. stuff, yeah. Yeah, fucking great. Hogan tags in the dog and they start to beat up on Terry Funk for a little while. Using a bit of chicanery, the Funks manage to get the advantage on dog and they start to try to work a hot tag. Lots of tags from the Funks. And then Hogan does a really uh, awkward come into the ring to break up the cheating and the double team, but he kind of like, um, ha- he has to b- bash into the ref to get his attention. You Make sure the ref grabs him. Yeah, them. exactly. So it looked clumsy and botchy, but yeah. so, you know, the, so Hogan's chased out of the ring, allowing the heels to do more damage to JYD while he's trapped in the corner and the two of them are working JYD. And um, you have to imagine that Bobby Heenan is probably on his 15th joke by now. Like he's just, he's nailing Haiti kid every like 40 seconds, 30 seconds with something. And one of the jokes he made with uh, Junkyard Dog, I'm not exactly sure what it happened, but it's like something about his, his parents had nine months and the best they can come up with is Junkyard <laughs> yep. for his name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's great with the insults. Um, but JYD does manage to rally. He's waiting for Haas to attack him while he's, he gets whipped into the corner, but dodges an attack from Haas. Haas takes an upside down Z, so he's going 80. Right, yeah. JYD gets Hogan in, and Hogan throws Terry Funk, so the both Funk brothers are upside down <laughs> in the same corner. Now, around this point, Jimmy Hart manages to take the branding iron and hits the Haiti kid, and this is one of the burns, or at least comments I, I mentioned, Midget Chish Kebab, my favorite, says Bobby Heenan. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. He's 80 kids up on the, uh, he's got his feet on the bottom rope, and then he's holding either the middle rope or the top rope, and for some reason, and he's kind of bouncing up and down like he's on a clothesline or something like that, and that's when Jimmy Hart comes from the side of him and just nails him, and it's really funny because they chase after Jimmy Hart, and he tries to run around the ring, but, and I don't think I've ever seen this before, there's no room. Like, there's just, the yeah. timekeeper's table is touching the ring and touching the railing. So Jimmy Hart, like, knocks Mel Phillips over, throws him to the ground, and, like, scrambles over top of people. And it's just like, what? Like, yep. He's got to climb through people to escape from Hogan. But he does. Gets away. <laughs> Safe in the arms of the Funk Brothers. Dog has to take Kid backstage for some uh, repairs. Because uh, he's been hit by the branding iron, and Bobby Heenan's like, he's taking it back to right to Midget. He's going to go right to no one. Oh, no. And they go to a TV ad. <laughs> when they come back, we get Hulk Hogan beating up on Terry Funk, and Terry Funk sells so well. He'll just flip and flop all over the place. He takes one punch so well that he falls out of the ring and ends up laying on the timekeeper. He practically <laughs> rings the bell with his own head because he's just like laying out on, on the timekeeper's table. Um, the dog returns. Hogan, the next notable twist is that Hogan somehow is outside the ring and gets attacked by the branding iron. So obviously That's the referee right, yeah. is distracted. Otherwise they get disqualified. Yep. And then they lay the boots to Hogan. And even like Jimmy Hart's in there laying good. some real. He's giving him some good kicks. Yeah. Giving him some good kicks. Then Terry Funk takes Hogan to the barricade. It looks like, you yeah, know, it's hard like times. the entrance aisle or whatever you want yeah. to call it. Yeah, yeah, goes, yeah. They go for a walk first, That's right? right. right. An extended walk <laughs> to the point where you're almost like, okay, like now you're just, <laughs> I don't believe you anymore, Hogan. Thank you for a count out. <laughs> yeah. Also, like how far can you walk a guy before he's finally like, okay, I choose where I'm going to walk. I'll walk where I want to go. I want to go to the, you know. <laughs> no, 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 he's stunned. <laughs> That's right. You're going here. <laughs> like 20 minutes later, like you're walking, you're, you're going straight to bed, mister. <laughs> no, no, I won't do it. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, so you think Hogan's about to, uh, I mean, it actually looks like Funk drops him on the barricade. He kind of rams him into the barricade. I yeah. thought he was going to throw Hogan over the barricade something. into the crowd or something. But, but it, the timing and, and the camera work is so awesome here. Like, just what's about to happen. Boom. All of a sudden, JYD shows up and he body slams Terry Funk. <laughs> and then Hogan backs off so there's about like a 10 feet momentum so that on uh, Junkyard, and it calls, calls for the, basically, Funk to be whipped towards him. Funk takes it like a champ and they back body drop him then there's no pads anywhere funk is taking all these bumps on the fucking concrete that's right yeah oh my god this guy's indestructible it's just amazing <laughs> it's great as he gets nailed on the floor you see hoss funk waiting by himself in the ring and you're thinking like no help oh, hoss like hey, why didn't you go help him <laughs> like, yeah well that brotherly hatred you know <laughs> the rivalry <laughs> So back in the ring, we have uh, Hogan and Haas, and uh, Haas takes a boot. The dog comes and tags in. He, once again, has to give the advantage to the heels so that we can uh, work another hot tag. At this point, though, the Haiti kid has returned as well, and he's got the bandages, and he comments that it looks like he's got the worst toothache anybody ever had because they just right. wrapped him up to make him look. I mean, the branding shot was delivered so safely. It's more like Jimmy Hart hits Hitty Kid with his wrist while he's got, you know, the branding it's, iron it's, it's poised. The, it's the Triple H sledgehammer shot where you put right. your hand over the end of the hammer and then hit the back of your fist holding a hammer into somebody, and that's devastating. Right, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Iron Claw turnbuckle smash. <laughs> Haiti Kid has now positioned himself like a three man tag team partner. And uh, when he's, in, and not only that, like he's got his arm stretched out like he's reaching for the tag, you That's know? Right. So, this whole hot tag is like, for who? You're going to get to beat the Haiti Kid who's already taken a branding iron? You're going right. to bring him in to win the match and, and save he's your ass? so upset that he's on the apron. He's like, get him off of there. How do we even know that's the same guy? <laughs> <laughs> we need a leash law for this midget. <laughs> Oh, oh it's terrible, terrible stuff. But we are getting near the end of the match. Like, we're already going on a bit, so uh, hopefully you're still entertained. Um, <laughs> JYD does finally make the tag, and he knows better than to. Thankfully, they do not tag in the Haiti Kid. I'm glad <laughs> they didn't right. go down that angle. Uh, the next trying to Haiti Kid's trying to cheer Junkyard Dog on, he's bumping his fist up in the yeah. mode, and he says that's how they hail a cab in Haiti. <laughs> It's just, yeah. you know, nonstop. So Terry Funk climbs the top rope because he does eventually get an advantage. And uh, so it's still JYD that uh, is trying to, uh, you know, rally and then get a tag in. Terry Funk goes for an attack from the top rope. Uh, we don't quite know. Sometimes when the good guys roll out of the way, the bad guys sort of, it gets very vague what they were going to do. <laughs> <laughs> kind of look like a splash or a headbutt maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, sure enough, it's enough of a chance for Hogan to come in. And all he's really got to do, I, I, he might clothesline, but certainly we get, yes, there's a clothesline. Yeah. Hogan tags in, there's a clothesline, leg drop. One, two, three. Yeah. Like the, I, I, I made the note of it's the quickest pin after a hot tag you've ever seen. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like one move, boom, <laughs> yeah. and then leg drop, and that's it. Yeah. So it's the patented Hogan ending that yeah. we don't like. Yeah. And well, you know, I mean, it wasn't a Hulk up in a, in a leg drop. It was, I mean, in a boom and a enough. leg drop. It was a bit different. I guess but. that's a good point. There was no Hulk up. All right. Yeah. Just as far as the finisher. You, yeah. Like your, yeah. your earlier allowed, complaint. He's, he's allowed to use the close leg drop. Line, leg drop done. Yeah. There you go. So. Um, but the match was already, uh, it, was, it was time to wrap it up. Yeah. They timed it well. Like, Dog almost tagged. They got him back. Dog almost tagged. They got him back. They missed the top rope. Boom. Then there's the tag in the match. The match ends. But the story's not quite over. That's right. Funk's always want to keep fighting. Yeah. The Funk, I think it's, I can't remember which one. Somebody knees Hogan in the back from behind, which puts puts Hogan out of the ring. And then they give Haiti Kid takes some stiff shots. He's a tough little guy. Yeah, yeah. 
Piper and, Or- and Orton beat him up, and now the Funks and Jimmy Hart yeah. beat him up. And like, and they sound almost like potatoes too. So it's a three on one, but really it's more like a three on one half because poor little teeny <laughs> kid is just so you know. <laughs> um, and then they go for a branding. So right. eighty kids on his back, and Terry Funks laying down, holding his uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Hart is. Right, Jimmy Hart's laying on the ring as well, holding Haiti Kid's legs so that he can't roll away. And then Terry Funk holds the branding iron way up high, and he's going to bring it down. But because it's like a human ladder, we have Hogan on the end, grabs Jimmy Hart's ankles and pulls him in because Jimmy Hart is holding Haiti Kid. The branding iron sails harmlessly to the mat, and <laughs> Haiti Kid is spared the branding. And then, of course, the good guys get in. It isn't long before they manage to isolate Jimmy Hart and hold him. Hogan holds Jimmy Hart's arms while the Haiti Kid from the ring apron gives Jimmy Hart a bunch of thick slaps <laughs> and smacks. And they, they, uh, they sound like they hurt. And then he makes a run for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he goes backstage. Then Jimmy Jack Funk comes in, and who cares? I'm he like, where no were you impact. all match? Yeah. Where were you, like, why would you show up now? And he doesn't do anything. No, like... except for slam his cow- cowbell on the ring, so it's yeah, totally yeah. useless, his presence. Yeah, this doesn't matter. Silly. So the the uh, the good guys have won, and they play JYD's music. Grab them cakes, and then that's that's the difference, right? Where I thought like when they went to the ring, I'm like, Jesus, poor JYD. But then when they ended it with his music, I've never seen Hogan in a match where his music at this era, like where his music didn't play. Yeah. So that was a pretty big concession. Yeah. To like give JYD his music. Yep. And Hogan's doing his I'm JYD. Yeah. He eventually. He's doing his poses, but he eventually gives over to like doing the knee shuffle and, yeah. the, and look up at the sky and howl to the moon or whatever. And the whole chewing the, you know, yeah. when they do that. And there's weird... at least 10 more failed high five attempts. <laughs> yeah. Well, they totally botch every high five they try to do. Every handshake is so clumsy. Oh, dear. Um, but there was actually what I really did enjoy was uh, after I had to go back to hear it. But after Haiti Kid smacks the crap out of Jimmy Hart, there's this wonderful. Uh, oh, that was a horrible impression, but like, what he'll, he pay. he'll pay. Oh, he'll, he'll pay, pay for that. He'll pay. It's, oh, gosh, I'm, that was that was a wretched impression. It was not an impression. It was just telling you what Jimmy Hart said. But it's pretty funny how he said it. Yeah, yeah. Because he's just so indignant. And, and I was going to say this. Jimmy Hart is also really tough. We've seen him get punched by Andre. That's right. Andre beat him up pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and he's gotten beaten up here by Hogan. And, and that Junkyard Dog versus Adonis Ironman event match where, like, he gets, like, Adonis spills over the rope and lands on Jimmy Hart, crushes him, like. So he's taking yeah. shots from Hogan and the Haiti Kid tonight, and he'll be back with, with Adrian. <laughs> That's right, yeah. He's a busy man. Okay, so after a commercial break, it's time for the Battle of the Big Boys. They show Bundy entering the ring, and Vince McMahon mentions there's going to be tons of fun as these two behemoths get to go head-to-head. So we go back to the weigh-in area, and it's pretty funny. So McMahon goes, well, great, now you're going to have to go down to the ring to you know manage your man. And Bobby Heenan's, well, i got a surprise for you. we got to see this first. So, of course, this is filmed earlier, the weigh-ins, and Heenan is present for the weigh-in. So they weigh in King Kong Bundy at 468 pounds. Big man. Wow. And then they go to Uncle Elmer. So this is an edit and it comes back and Uncle Elmer is holding like, you know, the prop division made him this giant oversized KFC bucket style, but it's got its own little hand drawn like Uncle Elmer's fried pork, par- fried yeah. pork parts. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, and there's this really bad, and this is from the original, I remember this, there's this bad like edited in like eating noises. Like it's not even Elmer. Like there's some other like audio being pumped in there to make it sound like he's chewing on whatever he's chewing on. 
and he's eating it. <laughs> and Gene's like, come on, Uncle Albert, please step up. And he's like, if you'll hand me that bucket. And he, <laughs> he's just like, no, 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 it's all going right here. Stay right here with me so you won't give the bucket over. <laughs> so he gets up on the uh, scale and he's in it 430 pounds. <laughs> and like we said before, you're kind of like, Bundy's 460, like. Elmer looks at least as heavy, if not heavier, because he's quite a bit taller. Yeah, it is. You know, it is interesting. It'd be no, it'd be cool to know what their real weights were, like compared to each other. Well, I guess just Bundy was wider from like Possibly, side to yeah. side. You yeah. know, Elmer wasn't as wide. Yeah, as Bundy. you know, I bet you Elmer's didn't have the weight in his legs the way Bundy did. Yeah. Like Bundy probably had really big thighs and calves versus like Elmer might have had sort of the comparably chicken sort of you know chicken legs compared to his body. If there was any wrestler who resembled a wall i would say bundy was that wrestler that's right you know just like as far i mean other guys they were kind of triangular you know like big big shoulders and skinny legs but bundy (laughs) was just like you know this obelisk in your way (laughs) so it was great heenan stuck around to witness uncle elmer's way and to make sure there was no funny business and he gets a a great burn in which we'll hear right now right down here all right let's get the official tabulation here on the holy toledo i can't believe it bobby heenan 430 pounds. That just goes to show you, you take 200 pounds of manure, 200 pounds of cellulite, 30 pounds of pig parts, and you get the biggest hillbilly whippet in the world today. And then at this point, we're in, we're in the ring, and we got our two big men, and they're getting ready to lock up. So this is a pretty short match, pretty, pretty simple to get through. So there's a couple of lockups, and there's no advantage had, so both men sort of just push off quite quite quickly after the second one though elmer puffs up <laughs> like he's like i don't know those birds they sort of make themselves look bigger by like poofing out their feathers or whatever that's kind of like right. elmer trying when to my cat sees a dog <laughs> there you go yeah so mcmahon tells heenan he's made a huge mistake and should be at ringside because <laughs> you know bundy's gonna lose this match so there's a third lockup and it's a small advantage to elmer but again a push off so Bundy bounced off the rope for a tackle, and Elmer barely moves. And the crowd's super impressed with the fact that, you know, Bundy wasn't able to knock Elmer over. So the second try, and with the same result, and Elmer probably moves even less. So Bundy's really frustrated, so he turns around to the crowd, ah, yelling. And at this point, Elmer awkwardly walks up behind him and does that thing where you stand right behind somebody, like you're almost touching them, but you're not. So when Bundy turns around, Elmer's like right in his face. But instead of hitting Bundy, he gives him a little wave. <laughs> it's kind of a strange, a strange choice for the middle of a pro wrestling match. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, Bundy decides it's time to, you know, time to cheat. So he goes for the eye gouge out of a lockup. And he gets the punches and the kicks and the chokes. And he's really giving it to Elmer. And Elmer's down on his knees, you know, doing the squinting. And that's his, his way of selling is sort of, you know, blinking his eyes and <laughs> puffing out his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's no Ricky Morton in there. He's, right. <laughs> he's not going to be able to show too much pain here. But uh, so it's pretty funny. Heenan speculates that uh, Granny... <laughs> can't be watching this because if she doesn't have indoor plumbing how could she have tv ah (laughs) i love that (laughs) and then he also says he figures elmer's only 11 years old because they age real quick in the woods oh boy yeah it's just like (laughs) you know he's just filling time here because there's not a lot of action happening so at this point elmer fights back to his from his knees and uh, he starts to stagger bundy and he gets in the corner and he gives him the butt bashes. So almost the Andre turns his back to Bundy and starts like, you know, he's holding onto the ropes and just smashing his own butt backwards. Finally, some offense. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Especially if he's letting one rip or something. Attacking with his butt. So he goes for the big corner to corner whip. And I got to tell you, I was really impressed. Uncle Umber does like 
like a big avalanche, like, uh, you know, like Sting would be impressed here. This is almost a Stinger splash, <laughs> an Elmer splash. It looks really good. He really smokes out. He really smokes Bundy with it. So he drives one more. He sticks up his finger. He's ready to go do it again. So he whips Bundy into the corner and he falls it up. But this time Bundy moves and it's pretty funny because Bundy moves pretty early <laughs> and Elmer just continues on like like his car has no brakes and just crashes into a cement wall and that you know ends up him falling backwards prone on the mat and Bundy goes off the ropes and actually it's just a big elbow drop I was expecting the uh, the splash and we get a one two three for the win and I'm not sure why but Bundy didn't want to go for the five count well a fairly uh easy dispatchment yeah. of Uncle Elmer yeah, he had, he had a couple of poor showings here. WrestleMania 2, uh, Adonis beat him pretty easily. You know, he, here he loses pretty easily, and that's going to kind of wrap up his career pretty soon in the WWF. Oh. The world so, needs losers, too. That's right. And you can hear Bundy as he's walking back uh, through the crowd, like through the exit, to go backstage. He's You can hear him yelling, he's not mic'd. Hogan is dead. It is. You know, he's yelling that out. So he's still trying to keep the Hogan feud alive, but uh, WWF isn't really trying to keep the Hogan feud alive. Yeah, too bad for Bundy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I believe Elmer is going to wrap things up at the end of May. So this is, uh, I think this was, they said it was his last television appearance was was this match. And we'll have to get confirmation on this. Somebody else had their last match with the WWF today. And it's going to make you sad. Terry Funk. Mm, yeah, that does suck. It's listed as his last match. I don't know. I'd have to check the host show results to see if he has any other appearances. They might have meant just TV, TV appearance, but... Yeah, looks like it's the it's the end of the road for Terry Funk, and he's famous for the few times he leaves places. Is when he leaves, he kind of just goes home, like he doesn't talk to anybody. And then when they phone him, he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I had my my horse got sick." You know, he just yeah. basically <laughs> my horse got sick. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. heard that. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna go to commercial, and we come back. We got a bit of a grudge match here between Adrian Adonis and Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. So, grudge match, what's the heat? How did these guys even cross paths? Uh, he's he's been uh Adrian has been teasing uh calling him like Hulk Jr. and stuff like that. Couldn't find any footage of it, but I read about read that that yeah, he was kind of poking it, poking at Orndorff and, mm. and and making the also the like from the beginning sort of like that he that he wants Paul Orndorff. Infuriating Paul Orndorff by, you know, making these innuendos. innuendos right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's more than I knew. There appeared to be no build. Here they are in a match with no right. build, as far as I knew. Yeah. Anyways, what we see on this TV program this particular night, decades ago, we're in the dressing room, not a locker room, the dressing room. I mean, there's going to be a lot of, like, d- lame humor, like, as if it's bad to be gay. And it's not bad to be gay. That's just fine. Do your thing. Anyway, um, but uh, it was the 80s, and I don't know, I guess they thought it was okay to... Uh, to do this so uh it is what it is yeah so they're uh singing this song hey hey paula i think a hit from the 50s or whatever and That's they right. still got the cardboard cut out and adrian adonis is still flirting with it and teasing it and all this stuff his promos have not entirely left behind the language he used to use in land of a thousand dances as i am a phd scholar on this particular video <laughs> he will slice you like a french fried potato this was the tough biker adonis that's right 
So this promo, now it's supposed to be about how the flirting and the gay thing. He's still, I'll slice him. I'm the master disaster. Yeah. So there's still uh, references to the promo language he used to use and, uh, and vegematic. Um, yeah, he could be powerful too. Exactly. But I do have to say this. Adonis had a certain special talent to be able to pull this off. Could you imagine like John Nord, the barbarian, like if they said, we want you to play gay, like he wouldn't be able to do it. You know, like certain guys had performance or, you know, had certain talents, but it wasn't in their acting skills, you know? That's right. Yeah. Hats off to Adrian that they had the confidence in him that he could play any character, you know, that they could throw at him. And and he did. Yeah. They could just go, Hey, let's do a total 180 here and do something completely different. and, And he did it. Exactly. We cut to, Paul Orndorff in the ring in his nice sequined red robe. And then they go to the pre-recorded footage of Mr. Wonderful and Mean Gene. He's got his shirt off because they're in a sauna. They're both in towels. And I always thought Paul Orndorff sounded a bit stuffed up. You know, like sometimes sometimes he sounds like he's talking like his nose plugged. Anyway, he's in this particular clip. He's like, even deep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, in the sauna. So he, maybe he's got to get in there to clear out that congestion. So <laughs> That's right. Anyway, Mean Gene isn't too interested in being in the sauna until, uh, you know, Paul Warner says, that's hey, good for you. Make your hair grow. And then Mean Gene looks at the camera, hopefully, make your hair grow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so he says, what do you think? And he's like, well, I ain't never wrestled the fabulous moolah neither. And, you know, more of this, like, uh, yeah. homophobic humor. No thanks. So we cut back to Adrian Adonis is now in the ring, and he's covering his ears because of those cruel homophobic <laughs> fans. And he's selling it well. You know, once you just remember that this is pantomime and theater, we have a very entertaining match, and Adrian Adonis is an awesome performer let's just have fun with this okay so uh, he's just uh, he's such a good actor he's just he's so upset that uh, the the fans are booing him he's shaking his head no stop it covering his ears throwing a tantrum just like fabulous you know hissy fits that he throws you know and I do remember not wanting to watch him but like you know that's the goal that's the point you know And, and he can deliver in the ring I mean like better than I remembered I didn't realize what a fantastic bump machine he was anyway so let's let's go through the action McMahon is obsessed there's way too many comments of like he's ugly he's disgusting yuck so it's gonna just happen repeatedly but we'll uh, just have to deal with it we start off with a couple of arm drags that Adonis sells really well and then a couple of body slams that Adonis once again takes like a champ and it takes so well that they actually he tumbles out of the ring in this awesome way that he has and he's on the apron and the crowd loves that he's already getting beaten up and they're just taunting him and he uh, just has a special kind of ability to to move Um, he's going to get even heavier because this is the earlier phases of the Adrian Adonis so uh, but it seems that no matter how much weight he put on he was still able to just fly around the yeah, ring flop around crazy mm-hmm. yeah so he's outside the ring being consoled by Jimmy Hart and Paul Orndorff you know is is just furious now I know that there has been a little bit of heat and taunting that can justify it um, so he comes out and he stomps on Adrian and Adonis's fingers <laughs> not very gentlemanly behavior not particularly good guy like demeanor I uh, once they get back into the ring Orndorff whips Adonis into the rope where he does his best flare flip at 180 <laughs> and he's just great at that 
Yeah. As it's it's really interesting hearing Bobby just say like it's his choice to wear that sort of weird dress that McMahon keeps questioning and criticizing and Bobby keeps saying like just leave him alone. And uh, <laughs> you're you know kind of on on Bobby's high side now. You listen to it and you're like, "Yeah, go Bobby, you shut him up." Like that's enough. <laughs> like who cares if he's gay? Fucking shut up. Leave him alone already. So Adonis slows the pace down a little bit, but it doesn't it's not boring. It it's uh just control and and timing of the he knows how to 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 draw out a match he gets his very first hit in but next thing you know he's the victim of an abdominal stretch and heenan's accusing paul orndorff of pulling the back of the dress but no he's got his hands clasped and adonis is selling it like he's just in complete agony but he manages to uh you know weasel his way if you will to the ropes and break the abdominal stretch it didn't end in a hip toss because it was a good guy and good guys will never fall Victim to a hip toss off an abdominal stretch? No way. Paul Orndorff whips Adrian Adonis into the ring. And then it looks like a closed fist. He's going to come in and clobber him and punch him. But since the adorable one is in the corner, you can't hit a man who's in the corner. So the referee catches Paul Orndorff's arm. And this allows finally Adonis to get in some offense. So he gets his second shot in of the match. (laughs) And he's clubbing Orndorff. And he gives him a couple of chops. And then, hmm, Adonis is in the center of the ring. Orndorff is at the rope. And Adonis charges with no better plan than taking a back body drop. And he's out of the ring again. (laughs) And he lands on Jimmy Hart. And they're spooning on the floor because they're both squashed. He's been like, yeah. And, oh, wait, sorry. No, I missed a bit. There's um, And also, I didn't give Jimmy Hart credit for his fabulous wardrobe. He's got a new outfit on. That's right. He's changed from the funk tag match. And now he's got what looks much more like wrestling gear okay. looks a little gayer also yeah. <laughs> you know which is in keeping with so he's got like a red tiger print leotard under a jacket so he you know yeah, i think the first match i'm thinking back i think it was like a white jacket with almost like music notes on it or something like that yeah like, this one looks more like wrestling gear yeah which he's gonna need because orndorff grabs him by the hair <laughs> bef- and pulls him into the ring and then essentially does a really awful looking half fireman's carry half gorilla press like oh, yeah, one yeah, of them yeah. he's, he's on his shoulder but then the other hand is grabbing his stretchy leotard That's and right. like in a volkov that arm's yeah, extended exactly yeah and yeah uh, someone, for, for someone as strong as paul orndorff just str- seemingly struggles so badly with pressing someone as small as jimmy hart like looks terrible yeah yeah so that's not good. And then he kind of like, it's, it, you would think it's like a, it should be a gorilla press drop, but instead it's more like he shrugs him off his shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah, fireman carry shrug him off his shoulders onto Adonis. And that's where the eagle splat and then yeah, they got a spoon. The inside to outside. <laughs> yeah. This is where we cut to a break with uh, Adonis. And his face is always a picture of agony. <laughs> and Jimmy Hart's like, oh, because he's just been, you know, clobbered by Paul that's Orndorff. Right, yeah. I mean, like he takes hits from everybody Orndorff, yeah. Hogan, Andre. He must have. Uh, he hated kid. He, hated kid. he can take it from everybody. Everybody. He took some of the special powers from Terry Funk and uh, and he'll bounce back from anything. So, yeah, so that, that's a chance for us to go to a TV ad break. When we get back in, we've got Paul Orndorff who delivers a punch to Adrian and a whip. Uh, sorry, yeah, a whip, but then he, he gets him back up for another fireman's carry and then does the airplane spin. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah he locks his hands and airplane yeah. spin. So that Adrian is going to be super dizzy when he comes out. Actually, before he can get sent before he can get set down and do the whole drunkard and staggered spin like where am I going he grabs the ropes 
And it's like, I think 50% of this match is outside. He, yeah, he yeah, just yeah, cannot yeah. stay in that ring. He's <laughs> allergic to the inside of the ring. So while he's up on Orndorff's shoulders, he grabs the ropes and then kind of spills out to the outside again. So Orndorff follows him. Adrian Adonis gets Orndorff in a, a headlock and it looks like he's going to, you know, the way you would deliver a bulldog, but instead yes. of like a bulldog, he's going to ram his head into the ring post. That's right, yes. But Orndorff pushes him off. So Adrian takes the ring post. Ow! <laughs> Probably bumps into Jimmy Hart at the same time. So more damage for Adrian. Like Adrian just takes so much punishment. It's fantastic. While Orndorff has his back turned, Jimmy Hart gives him a clobber from behind, but it's Jimmy Hart, so he's not hurt. He just <laughs> he does the slow turn like, oh, I'm going to squash you. But it's a trap. Jimmy Hart. Uh, runs into the ring Orndorff follows him and then uh, Jimmy Hart tries to escape to the top rope he's like climbing <laughs> the ropes he's like ah running but the ref's in there to keep Orndorff from bashing Jimmy Hart and Jimmy Hart has cleverly left his megaphone on the apron uh-huh. yes so Adrian Adonis being no dummy picks up the megaphone and clobbers Orndorff in the back of the head while the referee can't see so the- apparently Adonis should have been playing catch with the funks earlier maybe he could have been part of that <laughs> that's right um, boy that, that megaphone gets a lot of action did anybody get megaphoned earlier I don't think so not no, in uh, I don't think so he's the branding iron instead yeah they got all the weapons in the world <laughs> that's right and it, it what oh I love it because it, it, McMahon says to he did you see that and Bobby's like no I missed that <laughs> <laughs> and totally acknowledging that it happened, but no, yeah, I missed yeah, it. Yeah. It was great. And so Orndorff is selling really great. You know, he actually does a good injury. Yeah. His squinty face, oh, oh yeah, you know, clenched up. Yeah, that Popeye look. <laughs> and Adrian Adonis is giving the double thumbs up to the crowd, and he's swanning and preening in his, you know, smock, <laughs> this weird, you know, uh, dress sword. It could be a long T-shirt. It's his preference. What do you care anyway, McMahon? <laughs> Um, and McMahon is uh, watching, so now uh, Orndorff is going to take some uh, take some punishment. But uh, McMahon, he's like, he's taking too long. He's going to, uh, Adonis missing. But he lands the one, so That's Bobby's right. like, wrong again, McMahon. <laughs> it's just great. Like, uh, McMahon looks like a total boob, and, and it's great having uh, Heenan put him in his place. That's right. Another, you know, like you said, Heenan is funny all night long. It's like he's so sharp and just on the ball. I, I, somebody says, uh, Orndorff, maybe it's Heenan, just says, uh, Heenan says, Orndorff's running on fumes here. And McMahon says, I thought that was Adonis running on fumes. And Heenan says, without missing a beat, no, that's perfumes. And Adonis runs on. <laughs> it's almost like they scripted that one. It's so yeah, slick. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so we see wrestling moves from Adonis, including a suplex. Uh, but it only gets a one count. Um, we get uh, a top rope attempt from Adonis and he comes down and it's the knees, but it's more like the shins. Sometimes, you know, the shins, the knees are really the shins, which That's is right. the shin basher. Yeah. Adonis comes off the top rope to land on Orndorff's shins. So he really sells that and that hurts him a lot. We get more of like, oh, that Adonis so ugly. Ooh, ah, and, uh, give it up already, McMahon. <laughs> and it's not long before we get uh, a special rope tie-up. We'll never forget how Kurt Henning was able to jump into the ropes and give himself the hangman That's thing. Right. Yep. But Adonis does this amazing weird chicken wing. He lands in the rope somehow that his arms are tied up. Andre does it all the time too. Yeah. Well, he, he is that the one where he flips over and now he's in yeah. the ropes? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So Andre, like it's almost like Adonis goes over the top rope but winds up back in with yeah, his yeah. arms behind him. Yeah, his body back through the ropes again. And the, but, yeah. he's, but his arms are, are caught up in the ropes. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Heenan's complaining because Orndorff 
is assaulting him, you know, merciless, yeah. even oh, though he's yeah. defenseless. Yeah. And he's complaining, what kind of behavior is that? He can't even defend himself. That's so the crazy. referee's trying to get Orndorff away because, of course, indeed, this is illegal. Time to break, yeah, at five count, break the, break the hold sort of thing in the ropes. That's right. Jimmy Hart gets into the action. He takes a shot and a bump. Adonis does free himself, and he takes a drop kick, which he sells so hard that he hits the corner post one more time. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And we're going home. While Adonis is hugging the corner post, Orndorff comes over and rips the dress in pieces and starts to choke him like Andre with Bundy. He's choking Adonis with his own dress. Orndorff has snapped. Yes. Uh, the ref tries to stop this, and Orndorff has lost whatever sanity he had remaining, and he pushes the ref, which, of course, leads to a disqualification. Um, but now he's stripped uh, Adonis, and so... Uh, McMahon just won't let it up. Look at that fat. Oh, that's disgusting. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, look at that fat. Ew, that's gross. And um, Adonis does get his arm raised as he is won by disqualification. Orndor picks up a chair and is coming close. <laughs> yeah. Looks like he's going to swat him, but Adonis manages to get away. Well, the ref restrains Orndorff, and uh, we don't see any more because it cuts to Gene Mean and our next segment. Following the idea that we last Saturday's main event didn't have a theme and that has continued for the spring edition of the Saturday's main event. There's no party. There's no water slides. There's no, no pastry, no cake. Yeah. There's no spring No party. I don't know. There's nothing. They don't have anything. So the segment that they're going to throw in is a special pre-recorded interview with Mean Gene and Hulk Hogan and reviewing the WrestleMania two King Kong Bundy cage match. It is kind of neat seeing the arena empty. That's right. Yeah. So they film it in these seats. So basically the hard camera side about maybe 15 rows up, you know, sort of thing like Mean Gene and Hogan are just sitting in the seats and you can see the whole set, the Saturday Night's Main Event set up, the ring, the apron, all the stuff, but the place is quiet and empty, you know? And so the camera zooms in on them and they, you know, they have a, they have a talk and they of course show footage. Now, if people might remember back then, the week after a WrestleMania two, for example, and you wouldn't get necessarily highlights for the most part. What you got was a handful of still photos that maybe showed something from the main event or one of the other important matches. They would sort of avoid revealing all of the results of the big card because they would want you to rent or buy or whatever the rental when it came out, how many ever months later. So it's interesting, the timeline. So for most of us, this episode of Saturday's main event was the first time we got to see, if we didn't get to go, if we didn't go and watch it on, you know, closed circuit like Jeff did. Me and Chris Jericho, best of buddies. That's right. (laughs) But if you're me, the first time you saw something that wasn't just a still photo of the cage match was here, this highlights. So they show you some highlights from the event and they talk over it. So it's Mean Gene and Hulk Hogan talking about it and then sort of narrating what you're seeing. They do eventually bring in the audio for a little bit. And of course they go back and they show the ambush on the previous Saturday event with Morocco and Bundy and what led to it. Uh, And Hogan cuts a bit of a promo and uh, took the injury to put his feet back on the ground and all this stuff. So they go to the steel cage footage and, you know, it starts with Hogan's, the beginning of the match, before it even starts, you see Hogan scaling the big blue cage. And again, this is the first time that I know of that they use that blue cage. So it was a really interesting thing to see. Like, again, we're used to mesh fence, you know, AWA, NWA steel cage matches. Seeing this cage, it was like, oh, what is this? What is this thing? This is different. But it was neat. It also kind of seemed dangerous because these steel bars or whatever they are, you know, like they look, if you ram into them, I'm, I'm sure they hurt really bad. So it made it look, and the look of the blue, you know, also was very, you know, kind of stood out, I think. 
So, you know, it showed the beginning of the match exchanging blows with Bundy. It showed him, like, you know, giving Bundy a big... I remember in that match, right away, like, one of the first things that happens is Hogan whips him off the ropes and gives him a big boot, like, super early in the match. And at one point, he's giving him the Andre the, the choke. He's got Bundy's own strap around his neck. And, you know, it fast-forwards through it. So they bring in the, the audio with Jesse and Elvira and Lord Alfred Hayes are the commentators. And Elvira wants the match stopped because uh, there's, you know, there's blood and stuff like that. And Bundy's bleeding, and you see Hogan up on the top rope, and Bundy's head's on the rope, and he's stepping on his head. <laughs> it's pretty good. Squishing Bundy's head into the ropes. Then, you know, basically shows to him, he switches to showing Hogan kicking off Bundy after Bundy's had an advantage, and then basically, like, kicking Bundy, like, so Hogan's up, pardon me, in the corner, and Bundy's trying to pull him back down, and Hogan kicks him off. And at that point, that's where you see Hogan scale the cage. And for his big escape and his big win in this cage match, goes back to Gene and Hulk in the arena, and basically Hogan's message here is that it's not revenge, it's what I had to do, and now it's my time for revenge. I got my hit list, Morocco, Heenan, Fuji's, he's going after them all apparently. He's he's busting some uh, blood vessels in his <laughs> his neck and in his head, and he's ready to have his uh, his heart attack possibly from this promo, but that's, you know, that's about it. And it was sort of a simple thing to do, but again, like I said, it was because of the day and age, it was this... It wasn't that great of a segment, with the exception of the fact that, like, wow, you get to see this, like, elusive footage that otherwise I would have had to wait a few more months to see anything of, like, when it came out on video. Aha, uh-huh. uh, right. Well, obviously, uh, when I watched it, I had already seen the match. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Didn't mean that much to me. No. And it was not, I don't know, Hogan wasn't at his best, but maybe it's just because over the years, uh, the more I learn about Hogan, uh, and then the closer I watch his actual performances, you know, it's it's kind of like... Other people are so much better than him. <laughs> he sure had that big size, you know, and like he got he, the crowd he, excited. Yeah, yeah, he got the crowd excited. He, you know, he he could bring people in. I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't I don't fault him for his success as far as like, you know, he had a thing and it worked and he ran with it. And so did the wrestling industry and and like him or dislike him. You can't really argue with the sort of results, let's say, as far as like it worked. <laughs> so go to commercial break. And when they come back, we're getting ready for a very interesting matchup between Jake the Snake Roberts and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. So this is uh, some of the most memorable content from all my years of watching wrestling. And I actually was a Jake the Snake fan before I was a Macho Man fan. So this being probably among my first glimpses at him, this would be the sort of um, stuff that set this impression of this ass kicker <laughs> so uh yeah, like as we saw on his house you know we didn't see stuff like there's wrestlemania 2 so you would have saw that match he had some squash matches on tv but he only he only wrestled ricky once before this night it aired and no other matches against anybody of any note like other than like an sd jones or somebody and all those people we saw like we all know what happened in those matches <laughs> absolutely we're wondering indeed the uh the curiosity is peaked before we get there We have promos, of course. Ricky Steamboat, prophetically, he says, I will not tolerate this humiliation. I've seen one too many wrestlers be degraded (laughs) and embarrassed. And, you know, little does he know that I'd say that Ricky Steamboat gets Damien'd worse than anybody. Like, it's, it's it's the best example of somebody getting snaked because he will have a precedent. Uh, he will make a habit of, you know, putting the snake over his fallen opponents. But 
in the future, the big stars don't get the snake treatment. This, you know, like if you're, you'll wake up and escape right before he gets you. And then like if most often they, Jake's opponents wouldn't usually take the snake. I mean, that was jobbers. It was the jobbers who oh, really you, got snake. They got it for sure. So yeah. Ricky Steamboat gets a better, a, a, a worse snaking, I'll say, than anybody really. I, I'll have to, because Jake becomes a hero and they love him and they want to see him, <laughs> you know, right. put Damien this rude thing happening onto the heels but usually the heels wake up and run you know before they get snake because yeah the crowd starts cheering the whole snake on people but it's like it'd be kind of like if ted dibiase became a good guy and then everyone's cheering him stuffing dollar bills in people's mouths after the match yeah <laughs> same routine right wow anyway we're certainly getting uh, a little bit ahead of ourselves this is what sets it up though and and begins my admiration of jake the snake so i, I mean the action. A, i thought that was a better promo by ricky steamboat compared to the other ones we've seen by him he didn't fumble at all and he was intense he kept it short as always but uh, yeah. i liked it like it was like that was to me of the ones we've seen as these last few months doing this that was my the best ricky steamboat yeah I'd say, so, it might be you who's got the snake on you that's that, that's <laughs> correct yeah <laughs> Oh, again, the uh, how ironic because he's going to get clobbered. So then we have another composed calm interview with Jake the Snake. Well, it's not an interview. It's just a promo. There's nobody there. It's just him and Damien. And it turns out it's a handicap match. Handicap match because <laughs> we're a team, you and me, Damien. You've taught me so many things and I've taught you and together we. So yeah, it's two on one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I keep thinking that Damien's just going to latch his fangs onto his nose because he gets so That's close right, to yeah. the snake's face. But no, that never happens. Anyway, so uh, Jake goes on to calmly describe how he's going to get Ricky and of course Damien's going to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze all the juice out of that little Hawaiian <laughs> so I didn't even take notes because the rest of it I pretty much well, remember Jake, uh, you know you saw Jake after his uh, uh, you know Jake comes out first carrying yeah. the bag mm -hmm. of course and then Ricky comes out and we get his music yeah you know, so he's well, I didn't his... take notes because I remember it. It's so easy to remember. I'm not yeah. saying I forget or don't know what happens. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you say Ricky's got his music? He does. Yeah. Oh. It's um, okay. Well, anyway, he comes on. He's waving to the crowd. I, I like one thing is they announce Jake as he's getting in the ring. They announce him at 249 pounds because when we saw that um, SD Jones match on Prism or Madison Square Garden or whatever it was, they had listed him at 260, and I was like. Jake's a tall guy, but he's a beanpole, like 260? Come yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't really have much in the way of muscle mass, but he made it work. He sure did. So Jake is reclining in the corner with Damien sitting on his butt and his arms, you know, treating the wrestling ring like a lazy boy chair. That's right. So Steamboat's on the apron waving to the crowd, quick as a cat or a snake. <laughs> Jake, you know, he grabs a cat, a cat snake. <laughs> yeah. Jake gets on his feet, bounces off the rope, and clotheslines Ricky without him. Basically a sucker punch, but sucker punch yeah. clothesline. And Ricky goes on the apron hard. He stands him up and gives him one of his wonderful short arm clotheslines. That's right. And he takes them both like a boss. Then Jake goes out of the ring, and we get to see our first baby face suffer a DDT. And I've seen Jake say that, oh, yeah, I actually knocked him out unconscious, but Ricky still moves. So he's not completely unconscious. Like Right. So, yeah, Jake goes out, does the big point, three, the three yeah, sides. You want to see something? You want to see something? I'll show and you something. he hits it. And, I mean, to me, I, you hear a noise. Like, you hear something hit that, you know, that, that's not just, mm. it sounds rough. 
And the story goes is that Jake was nervous about giving him the DDT on the on the concrete because he hadn't done that to anybody. Ricky was like, no, no, I can take it. I can take it. I can take it. I can take it safe. And they convinced McMahon and they convinced Jake to do it. And then he did it. And then Ricky got a concussion. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I believe that. Yeah. Um, but there's also, there's still signs of life. Like, oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's not, not a com- dead, but it, it didn't, it didn't go as planned. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little too, a little too real. A little too stiff. And yeah, so Jake looks like he has to deadlift Ricky into the ring to get him uh, in there. And the uh, does he actually pin him? I think he no, no because the bell never rings. They, they never yeah. Like I was like I I literally made a note. Why didn't he pin him? Because yeah. they don't they haven't disqualified him at that point or anything. Like yeah, and I don't even and now that I they say call I remember it a no contest all. or something, ah, and they just like right. yeah, they just like the, there was like a non match. But I mean, he easily could have just pinned him. I don't know why he didn't pin him. Indeed, but Ricky. As I've already mentioned, gets pulled into the center of the ring and Damien is let out of the bag all over poor Ricky Steamboat. And Jake even like puts them face to face, like gives you a little sneaky kiss. <laughs> sneaky kiss. <laughs> yeah, look at this guy. Oh, it's disgusting. Oh, <laughs> this is unforgettable stuff. And it's, yeah. you know, uh, the, uh, the crowd, I mean, just it's really hates Jake. And uh, oh, yeah. this yeah. is a this wonderful is, feud that we're this brewing. Is, this, you know, Ricky's as, almost as popular as anybody. And, and, and just the way this went, like as a kid, I remember being disappointed because there wasn't a match. Like I thought the DDT on the concrete was cool, but I was almost like I wanted them to fight before that because it felt like yeah. I didn't get to see mm-hmm. what I wanted to see. But you're right. It left this huge impression, but there is a comedy gold moment. So the officials come in <laughs> to stop Jake from like to get him out of there. Right. And uh, a couple of them, you know, kind of put their arm on Jake and he turns around and he's waving the snake around to chase them off. And so the guy on the hard camera side that you can see who's grabbing at Jake and he's the second one to try and grab Jake. And he swings the snake around, and I'll I'll do it from Bobby's perspective. Bobby's like, he's like, who's that guy sticking his nose in there? And it's literally Blackjack Lanza, a Heenan family member <laughs> that he managed in the AWA. So it's it's great comedy that Bobby's pretending as if he doesn't know who that guy is. That's right. The uh, Blackjacks held the gold in the AWA, the WWWF, and this thing called the uh, the WWA, which was um, well, that was the sort of the, the partner. A- Indiana, yeah, like yeah. partner of the AWA. I don't think they were AWA champs, though. We talked about that on the AWA show. Uh, according to Wikipedia. Oh, okay. When I looked it up, I didn't see them having listed. Hmm. I went through the AWA list and didn't find them. But hey, Wikipedia's got a ton of mistakes on it, so anything's possible. Hmm. Yeah, I did note that. Who's that guy? Oh, just the guy you managed to the gold. <laughs> just just one of your Blackjack Lances, yep. <laughs> That's awesome. And a nice mauve coat. Who's yeah, that guy? Who's that guy? You know exactly who that is. <laughs> It'd be good if he still had the one black glove on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's pretty, they do a stretcher job. You know, they really, you know, it's a great sell job of this. And like Jeff said, you're never going to forget this feud that just fires up over the summer and into next fall. And there's going to be lots of great content revolving around Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus Jake the Snake. Yeah, Ricky um, had the best storylines while he was in the WWE. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, his feud with Jake is unforgettable, and then he's going to go on to an even you know more exciting feud. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah amazing. It was... And he was, um, you know, I, I the Morocco Fuji stuff. I had to be reminded that yeah he had because otherwise Ricky was moving around like a. 
tag team partner of the day for a while there. But yeah, too. I totally always remember the hanging of Ricky where they got him over the ropes with the belt and they're like, you know, whipping him and stuff. But we, as we saw <laughs> in those other teams, kept getting ambushed like over and over again, breaking chairs on him and all this stuff. So yeah, great. man, he would be the most battered face I can think of. Like just always willing to get attacked and left laying and yeah. stretchered and hung and snaked and, you know, ring belled. And, like- and what a way to create a character in Jake for people who weren't fans of all the other promotions that he'd already wrestled in who didn't know him. It gave him so much legitimacy and made him look so dangerous that he could just destroy Ricky Steamboat, who was like this superhero and like, and it made the DDT like just this unbelievable finisher that nobody could ever possibly survive. Yeah. It made uh, a big impression on me. And like, I, I, I think I mentioned that when Jake did come to wrestle Hogan in Winnipeg, I was cheering Jake at the top of my lungs. (laughs) We love him. (laughs) It's great. Okay. We're going to go to commercial and we're going to wrap up the show with the best a European style, best two out of three falls tag team match for the tag team championship with our beloved British Bulldogs in their first title defense, supposedly, after WrestleMania 2. All lies. Jake Roberts. He's signaling for that DDT. He's not. Oh, no. Hey, Steamboat, that's using your head. Oh, my goodness. I like it. Steamboat, unconscious. He has to be totally out of it. I smell something. Is that pineapple juice? What is that you smell? Okay, we're back from commercial, and it's at that part of the show where I'm just, as a kid, so excited to see this match. Just so desperate, so longing to get to watch any kind of, like, premiere match with the Bulldogs, because I haven't really seen them do anything yet. Just know they won the belts at WrestleMania 2. And as we heard in the first half, Dynamite started, like, missing some shows and stuff, so they weren't even, like, I don't even think they were doing, like, squash matches very much after they won the belt, so it was kind of like this delay, you know, our, my perception was that, you know, they were sort of hadn't defended their belts yet, like, this literally would be the first time, even though it's not the case, but I was just, you know, really so psyched up to get to watch my favorite team. Of course. They had such an amazing showing at the last Saturday night's main event, and then they went on to win the belts. I mean, this is where the momentum is, this is where it's happening. That's right. So we can see that the heels, they're all in the ring together, and that's where we're going to send it back to Gene, and he's with the Bulldogs and their manager, Captain Lou Albano. And of course, he's doing 98% of the talking for the Bulldogs, and they're in a really great look. So Dynamite's in the foreground wearing the red version of their tights, and Davy Boy is in the background of Dynamite wearing the blue version of their tights. And I mentioned in the previous show, it's like sometimes they were all blue, sometimes they were all red. Eventually, they kind of went to this white look with the Union Jack on their butt. They even had an all red look that had the Union Jack on their butt. But this was my favorite, even though even though I think this might be the only time I ever saw them do this. But this red and blue, like, you know, with the same. Otherwise, it was the same. So anyways, it was thought they looked really cool. And Gene kind of introduces this whole thing with like with great Anglo-American pride of like announcing this, you know, English team of their <laughs> being their new champions. And it's kind of funny to me. I don't know why, but. Watching it now, Dynamite looks like an actor named uh, Jeremy Allen White, and he played a character named Lip on Shameless. Did you ever see Shameless? Um, I don't know this. Okay. Here, I got a picture I'll show you. Okay. Anyways, in, th- in this interview clip, for whatever reason, he totally, to me, looked like that actor, which I thought was pretty funny because a, a, jacked, ver- a jacked version of that, that act. So Obano calls them the finest gymnastic wrestlers in the world. Basically, the Bulldogs each get one line. <laughs> They get like one little quick like Davy Boy credits. Captain Lou says he it wasn't him, it was them. And then Davy Boy says, "Oh no, we wouldn't have got here without Captain Lou." And Dynamite's line is something along the lines of, "He made us better wrestlers and bulldogs." 
Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, Never just, known as great talkers. No, no. They just want to get in the ring and start kicking ass. So that's about all you're going to get out of them. And they, of course, from there go to footage of WrestleMania 2. And you see the uh, Bulldogs winning the title. So Vince McMahon, once they come back to the arena, is going to inform us that there's been a concussion diagnosis for Steamboat, that he might be out of action for about a week. I don't know if this is the time that you want to cover this, but what's kayfabe and what's real injury here? I mean, there's an injury that puts him, that they, they have to lose the belts, you know, eventually. Is that a different injury? Totally is- different injury, yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. Yep. Yeah, yeah we, we see the Bulldogs are coming out now. And based, oh, pardon me, <laughs> first off, we get uh, Volkov sings. Yeah, that's right. And, Vol- and uh, Blassie has sung along so many times that he's got the perfect lip sync. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's right in there. <laughs> so when they're done, McMahon comes up with this burn. He's like, uh, Volkov knows as much about singing as Chernobyl does about running a nuclear power plant. Ooh, yeah. low blow, timely low blow. A timely low blow, yes. And of course, she gets on the mic, you know, after the uh, song with his uh, number one, Russia number one, USA. <laughs> so, yep. So it's pretty good. So we go to pre And Blassie, don't forget, classy Freddie Blassie. Blassie, Blassie. He's yeah. still there. He is, Unfortunately, yeah. we didn't get to hear him talk well, yeah, and no promo bit. with well they do they go to promo right now good yeah so they go to a pre-recorded promo and they're in the dressing room and all three of them have the chic headdress on even yeah. classy <laughs> volkov's kind of looks like a uh, tablecloth it's got like the red lines and it's white and it's pretty funny Blassie's main line is uh, when they when his men win they'll be cheering from tripoli to tehran and morocco to moscow it's a good one. Yeah, it's pretty good. And you get Volkov is all of Russia are going to be proud of me. <laughs> yeah, I love it when he talks. Yeah, he, he didn't say much. And then Sheik starts to disrobe, and he's talking, but it's really hard to understand what he's saying. He's saying something similar, but he's uh, you know Sheik would always sort of meld in and out of English and Persian or whatever, and you never quite knew what he was saying. But uh, he does drop the the really famous when he starts flexing. Cameraman, the zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's my favorite. So here we go. We got the bulldogs coming out to their traditional music. That and uh, they're getting into the ring. And this is where you can clearly, if you're paying attention, you can see Dynamite's limping, and he's really favoring his leg. He has to be very careful about how he gets up the steps to get up onto the ring. And Davy Boy's sitting inside, you know, bending those ropes down to help Dynamite get in, into the ring. And we'll kind of cover this as we go, but it's it's clear that he's got an actual leg injury. And but as a kid, I don't think I noticed it at all. You know, like I didn't even it didn't it didn't occur to me. And if you did have an injury, I thought it was storyline. You know, like I knew wrestling was all theater, so I thought, okay, well, if he's in the ring and he's injured, it's a fake injury. <laughs> you know, well, like it's I'm only distinguishing right now, learning what was fake and real. I I yeah. only thought there was the one big injury, but McMahon keeps referring to this injury, and I'm like, oh, so it's not real because he keeps. But it was. Yeah, I tried to look up more information about what injuries he had at this point, and it was kind of hard to find any details. We'll kind of cover what we know and what we don't, but that's okay. Uh, so again, it's a two out of three falls match, which is sort of this European style for tag team matches, and it was really big, I think, back in like the 60s and stuff like that when tag team wrestling really started sort of taking hold in, in wrestling, that two out of three falls was like a very common thing. Well, the Bulldogs wrestled the Dream Team two out of three falls at Wrestle... Was that at WrestleMania? No, two it was it? that's a that single was, falls. That that's coming up in the fall. Oh. The October main event coming oh, up okay. is the two out of three falls match. So they, you're right. The Bulldogs on several occasions on TV wrestled best two out of three fall matches. Okay, that's what I would... Phew! <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I need a win here. <laughs> That's right. 
so he it's pretty funny he's, he's like the bulldogs are gonna choke <laughs> we're gonna have new champions he's like he's kind of calling that it's a fluke that they won and that they you know they're they're gonna lose to the former champions here and Sheik and volkov so the match starts with davy boy and volkov and uh volkov charges into the corner at davy boy <laughs> it just smashes himself into the turnbuckle davy boy moves out of the way Drops in a couple of nice forearms, drops Volkov to the ground, and then basically charges off the ropes and shoulder tackles Volkov, who takes an interesting bump. Instead of going backwards off of the shoulder tackle, he almost like falls forward, like he falls on his face. So Davy Boy tries it again off the opposite ropes, but this time Volkov catches him coming in. He basically catches him almost like in a body slam position, lifts him up in the air, drops him violently across the top rope. Sort of that hangman, sort of like, you know, neck, like almost like a clothesline on the top rope. He heads over and tags in the Sheik. And I've been waiting for it, but I didn't like to see it here. It's the Sheiky back suplex. And you're not going to see a better one. Like this this rival side, what Saido does, he hooks in the body lock from the backside. He's on belly to back, but on like over on the hip and he just drives Davy Boy to the mat with this like belly to back suplex and Davy Boy rolls over to his stomach and she gives us that familiar head hands above his head you know he's getting ready in position and he locks in the dreaded camel clutch and we see one of the fastest submissions in the history of wrestling Davy Boy submits in like two seconds or three seconds it's like he doesn't hold out at all he just starts waving his hand he's out and they are done the first fall and I got to tell you, as a kid, I wasn't smartened up enough to kind of know the ebb and flow of the business and understand especially how a two out of three falls match would work. Like, I was like, oh, the Bulldogs are going to lose the belts. Like, I was just so, it's like, when I saw them lose that fall, I'm like, they're dead. They're done. Like, there's if they're presented to lose that easily, there's no way they're winning this match. And this is me not knowing anything about Dynamite's injury. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Baffling booking. I don't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. That's right. So they're going to go to commercial, and this is something that drives me nuts, and I'm going to cover it more in a different episode, so I won't go too far down. The, I hate it. But the rules of three, the, the best two out of three fall rules, they are like a rule of convenience that change all the time, and I'll, I'll, I won't go all the way down. But one of the things is sometimes in a best two out of three falls match, the rule is whoever finished the fall has to start the next fall. But in this case, in this match, the commentary is complaining, you know, why didn't Dynamite start the second fall? You know, why is Davy Boy back in there as if he had a choice to? So it's interesting. It's like, when where, when are these rules count? When don't they count? Where are the rules? How are we supposed to know? Is, there, is this league? Is this official? Yeah, that's can, right. I, can, we get some, <laughs> can we get some officials in here? <laughs> so, yeah, we come back from a commercial break. We're on a wide-angle shot of the ring, and you can already see Nikolai stomping on Davy Boy. So we're like, we're starting the second fall, and we're already, we're already into the beatdown. And it's just like, you know, come on, man. Like, can't we do anything? And But McMahon, he's already by now mentioned, like, what's going on? Why is, you know, I didn't remember this match. Yeah. So I was waiting for Dynamite to get in. Yeah. Waiting, you know, and, and, and then McMahon's actually saying, I think he's injured. And then and he later he says, it's confirmed, he's injured. That's and, right. And uh, I'm only now realizing. Yeah, that. yeah, we'll touch on all that as we get to it, because they kind of, by the third fall, they really start to let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> so this is pretty great. <laughs> Before they went to commercial, actually, McMahon says, we'll be back for the second fall to see if the tag team championships will leave the free world. <laughs> As if she can Volkov are going to just run away. That's right. <laughs> so again, yeah, so Nikolai's stomping on Davey, and then he gets him in, and he rams him in Shiki's boot in the corner and tags him in, and Davey takes a big back body drop as McMahon questions why Dynamite didn't start the fall. And so that's where they're starting to plant the seed of, like, what's going on? Why is there, you know, why, why aren't they tagging in? Why didn't he start the fall? So at this point, 
the Sheik does this big clothesline. He always did, I don't know if you noticed, he, when he'd whip a guy off the rope, he'd do a little jump just as he clotheslined him. So he kind of like, his arm is up higher than, you know, just his normal standing position. So that was pretty, uh, pretty neat. And then we get from there an abdominal stretch. And I always loved when Sheik would do the abdominal stretch because he'd always, at one point, he'd have his arms locked around the guy's neck. And then when the crowd would be cheering, he would always let go and start like using his hand to like wave at the crowd. Like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, because it's like, the crowd cheering is what's going to make this, you know, move get re- get to get reversed. So, of course, as Jeff always alludes to, eventually we're going to get Hiptos. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sheiky on his back. That's right. So Davy Boy takes that opportunity to bounce off the ropes and go for a big elbow drop. But Sheik moves, so Davey Boy takes himself back out again. So we're we're still in the Bulldogs, can't really get anywhere. They're you know they've just been getting beaten up the entire match pretty so, much. So uh, well, Davey Boy, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there yeah. is no they. So Sheik rams Davey Boy into Volkov's boots. So that's like a repeated thing happening over and over again. And that big Russian comes in to continue the beatdown. So he does a he does a whip and like what I would say is a pretty weak looking clothesline. But Davey Boy sells it really well for him. He takes a big bump off of it. He looks really hurt, of course. At this point, this is where McMahon speculates that Dynamite must have been injured at WrestleMania. Like, that's got it. That's got to be it. Uh-huh. And Heenan's got a great line. You mean one of those little circus pups is injured? <laughs> that was pretty good. So Volkov, he does another whip, and David Way counters it with a sunset flip. But the Sheik immediately comes in to distract the ref. And Volkov's doing this hilarious thing where he's being pinned for basically a 10 count. And the only thing he's doing is he's pumping his fist like, you know, like you'd like almost as if you'd be, I don't know, like you do to the pedal bike or whatever, but with your hands or something like that. You know, and yeah. he's just pumping his fist over and over and over and over again. They're not actually able to do anything until they hear the referee. Yes. Thump. Yeah, two men there. Like, oh right, I know yeah. what to do now. <laughs> then he kicks Davy Boy with his, uh, you know, he gives the the heel clack or whatever it is to the head to knock him off. And uh, of course, Davy Boy does not get the pin there. So at that point, Davy Boy is now going to eat another shiki boot because so that loaded boot that's got to be dangerous. Tap tap. That's boot. right. Eats another one of those boots in the corner, and so now Kazuro, that's the the sheik, of course, that's his real first name, comes in to deliver a gut wrench suplex. So he's getting some of his better moves in. Gets a two count, and then he's going to whip to the rope and Davy Boy catches Sheik's foot so now Sheik's hopping around on one foot so Davy Boy spins him and gives him like an atomic drop which he takes a back bump off of so he gets the atomic drop and then slams down to his back and Davy Boy goes for a cover and then I would it's the funniest thing he gets a two count but the kick out is somehow a bump against like Davy Boy like he literally gets injured from getting kicked like from the kick out like when when Sheik kicks out Davy Boy hits the mat and like can't get up oh no <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad for him so Volkov is tagged in and he does a front face lock on, and he awkwardly pushes Davy Boy towards the ropes. I hadn't really seen Volkov try to do this before. So he's got the front face lock. He pushes Davy Boy backwards into the ropes. Then Volkov rolls backwards and basically flips Davy Boy over top of him into a pinning position. But, you know, it didn't really land any impact. It was sort of this wasted whole motion. It was like, why didn't you just, I don't know, throw him down to the ground or something? So that only gets a two count, of course. So there's another whip where Davy Boy throws himself. This is a really cool spot. Volkov throws him off the ropes. And Davy Boy uh, uh, like a, does like a defensive move where he basically throws his body into the air. It's almost like a hockey body check. And he turns his body sideways and kind of uses his elbow. And he drills Volkov, nails him, and knocks him down. So they're both down. Davy Boy's starting to move, but Volkov's able to get his hair. He gets his hand into his hair. Now, Davy Boy's 
cut his hair a little bit since WrestleMania 2. WrestleMania 2, he almost had like a perm almost, you know, he had a little, little shag on top. But here he's got a little bit shorter hair. But Volkov brings him by the hair over to the corner and they get Sheik in. So he's still not able to get out. But at this point, we're also questioning, like, would he even try to tag if he could? Like, because he hasn't made any attempts to try to get a tag and stuff like that. So they bring in Sheik, who places Davy Boy's neck over the second rope. And Blassie, right in front of the ref, grabs Davy Boy's hair with his cane in his hand. And he's holding him in place. So the ref's counting on Blassie. And Sheik bounces off the opposite ropes and does the big sit down on Davy Boy's back, just crushing him. So just further damaging Davy Boy. He's just looking really beat up here. So Volkov comes back in and does this really long delayed slam. He picks up uh, Davy Boy and he just like holds him for a long time before he puts him down. He gets goes for a pin attempt, and uh, but Davy Boy gets his foot on the rope right away, and the referee notices at the two count. So he slaps Nikolai on the back, and Nikolai gets up, and now Nikolai's celebrating his glorious championship win because <laughs> he doesn't realize that the fall, the fall didn't happen. And so Davy Boy gets up. Runs up from behind Nikolai, runs him into the ropes, which bumps Sheik off of the apron. They, they, he takes a bump, and he does the rolling reverse cradle for a one, two, three. And McMahon's hilarious because he just keeps calling Sheik and Volkov, what, idiots! <laughs> he keeps calling them idiots for not uh, realizing that they hadn't won. Yeah. Well, it wasn't exactly awesome. It, it, uh, glad to see the Bulldogs level it up, but uh, still. Yeah, they didn't get any action in. They just, yeah. like, they just snuck, out a, snuck yeah. out a pin. Not satisfying. No, no. And it's pretty funny at that point, Volkov's pushing the ref. Like, you know, like, oh, what do you mean? He's just trying to you know, argue that he'd already won and stuff like that. So we have another commercial break, and they come back, and Davy Boy's in there again and on the receiving end it's just like the same thing you know we don't even really see what happened we just see that he's you know he's getting punched or kicked or whatever and it's like there's no start to the you know and dynamite's not in there man at this point says that they've just been given confirmation that dynamite kid is injured and that he has a torn ligament in his left leg but when i watched it very carefully it was clear that it was his right leg that was injured that was the one he wasn't bending at all that's the one that he was really you know, being careful with and stuff like that. So I've seen it written in lots of places that he got an, you know, has a leg injury. So this sounds like when he fell off the ropes, the turnbuckles at WrestleMania 2 to the outside, took a spill onto the floor without any pads and somehow, you know, injured his le- injured his knee. Jeez. And that cost them several weeks of matches and, uh, you know. You think about all the spills we just watched Terry Funk and Jimmy Hart take on the concrete, you know. That's right, so- yeah. Could happen at any time. So at this point, Nikolai's basically, you know, got the beaten Davy Boy up and he, he whips him off the rope. He gives him a uh, double thrust, you know, kind of a weird looking double thrust to the throat. And then she comes in and they're double teaming him. And then she really goes for it with the loaded boot. He gives the big tap, the over, you know, over exaggerated tap and like gives him the kick. So now Sheik puts Davy Boy into the Boston Crab. And considering how quickly he submitted to the Camel Clutch, I'm thinking as a kid, I'm like, no, no, like somebody break this up. And I'm watching, waiting for Dynamite to come in and like at least give, you know, Sheik a kick in the head or something to, you know, get Davy Boy out. But Davy Boy, to his credit, fights through it and crawls to the ropes. And eventually, after quite a delay, he manages to get the rope break. And then you have Volkov come in right away. And he goes for the backbreaker. Except for he holds Davy Boy there. So he does a bit of the half press slam into the side backbreaker. And then he's almost like bending Davy Boy over his knee as he's got him like, you know, bent in half pretty much. And then at some point he actually like has him. So he's on the ground. He's trying to pin him and he's like pulling his trunks off. And the referee right away stops counting because he's like, you know, he can see that Volkov's holding, you know, not only holding his trunk, but pretty much, you know, DBSing his trunk. Like the, the butt's almost showing. And uh, Volkov's complaining bitterly. So Davy Boy, unfortunately, you know, he has to sell how beady up he is, but he also has to fix his trunks. <laughs> so when you watch, he's like fidgeting the whole time trying to fix fix that up. So from there, he goes into a 
bear hug on Davy Boy. And this is finally where Davy Boy finally manages to get some offense going. So he starts landing shots on Volkov, hard shots. And when Volkov lets go, he starts throwing these forearm uppercuts, which stagger Volkov and knock him down. And then Volkov goes over and tags in Sheik. And it's great because Sheik walks in and Davy Boy's like, fuck it. <laughs> he just like, he muscles Sheik up into a power slam. Like, and Sheik, it's, they're in the wrong position or something. You can tell he's really struggling. I'm sure he's also really tired because he's like been wrestling the whole time, you know, and legit, legit tired, you know. And, but he gets him up for the, uh, the power slam. And it's actually quite funny because his back is in Volkov's corner. So you would think as his teammate that Volkov would grab Sheik's leg and pull him down. But instead what he does is he actually gives Davy Boy a little push on the back. <laughs> A little bit of help. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like Morocco and Bundy squashing Hogan. So here oh, we get man. a two count and a kick out. And Davy Boy crawls over in his knees and tags in the Dynamite Kid. And I can tell you that 1986 Corey was so excited because I see punches, headbutts, clotheslines, and snap suplexes in my near future. You know, it's like it's he's going to come in and kick ass. Dynamite Kid comes in the ring with his hands down runs into Sheik kicking him in the stomach and goes down to the ground like he's been DDT'd. <laughs> like, he doesn't even get a lick of offense in. Yikes. He just goes straight down. Yeah. I'm sure part of this is protecting his knee, right? Like, they don't want to do anything that's going to, like, you know, so he has, they have to be pretty careful about it. So then Sheik picks up Dynamite and puts him in a bear hug. <laughs> I've never seen Sheik do a bear hug, but... And then he's, like, choking him, and then he gets Volkov in, and Volkov puts him in the, in the, ba- in the bear hug, and, you know... Dynamite's not not liking that either. So Sheik's back in and he does a really careful gut wrench suplex, you know, because he doesn't want to, he almost does it on the side, I think, to keep his leg off the ground. So like Dynamite can keep his leg sort of maybe elevated, I guess, and take the bump on his other hip or whatever. And uh, so at that point he rolls over and he, Sheik gets him in the camel clutch. So Davy Boy comes back in trying to save him, but Nikolai beats him to the punch and knees Davy Boy in the stomach and drops him. And here's where the ref has to escort Nikolai out. So Davy Boy just gets up all beaten up as he is, comes over to Sheik, gives him one punch to the face, which Sheik doesn't sell very well for him. And then he rolls him up into a small package while Dynamite rolls out of the ring. And the referee turns around and does a really quick three count. One, two, three. And the Bulldogs get their second fall, defend their titles, and not a match that I want to watch over and over again because it's not about them winning and losing. It's about them not doing any moves. Like, Yeah, very frustrating. What a disappointment. Can't believe they did this booking. Like, why not, why not let Davy Boy win for about three minutes at the beginning of the match yeah. and then pin him, you know, Just like, or whatever, or buried, submit him? Buried at the back of the show and no offense for the Bulldogs. Just, I don't understand it. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a tough one. There's so few matches in this era that I had access to watch them of real matches that weren't squash matches. And this was one of them. And it's one of the reasons why when we look at like the next three or four main events coming up, I watch those ones way more often because this one, this card I found frustrating. It's a good card and the steamboat snake angle is really cool. And of course the funk match with the Hogan and dog is funny, but you know, it's just, it's kind of like, it's a bit such a letdown to like, you know, go from seeing all these super dynamic bulldog matches to this like thing where they just get beaten up for like 95% of it and sneak out a couple of sneaky, cheapy pins. Yeah. It's too bad they did that. Yeah. But what can you, you know, what can you say? Bad choices. Yeah. So we go to commercial and we come back. And of course, we're going to get a couple of more segments, really quick ones with Vince and Bobby reviewing the matches that have just happened. And uh, Bobby has to remind you that you left that he, that McMahon had left out the King Kong Bundy leaving Elmer in the ring like a pile of grits. <laughs> they go to commercial again. 
And then they come back and give you your final goodbye. And the neat thing about this one, I think, different than any other one, is that they kind of show the crowd leaving. You know, like the, the arena starting to empty out, and there and a lot of fans are kind of mugging for the camera, you know, a little bit. So they they took some some footage of the crowd, like they had some handheld people down there, I guess, and edited this all together. And that's the end of the show. Hooray! <laughs> Just what an anticlimactic way to finish this Saturday night's main event. Uh, I, I I know I complained about it, and uh, yeah, not my favorite. I mean, it leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth that bulldog match. So um, there were good things about it. Like uh, I let's put it this way: I never forgot about Jake sabotaging Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and yeah. I forgot all about this lopsided two out of three defense, which was a base just. Why would you want to watch this? You don't get to see anything yeah, like like you said. You yeah. What a what a wow, phooey, darn. So not my favorite. A bit of um one of the weaker cards. I mean, if for no other reason that by the time you're done watching it, you just remember the last match, which was frustrating. Yeah, they send you home happy, quote unquote, by having the good guys win, but not in an effective way. Like No. So this, as I had mentioned, is the start of my video collection. I remember watching this. So Jeff and I have a mutual friend named Grant who I went to like elementary school with and we were best buddies all through like elementary school and junior high and high school. And Jeff got to meet Grant in high school and we all became, you know, a group of friends. So I was, as you do when you're in grade seven or whatever grade I was in when this happened, uh, you know, sleepover. So I remember having a sleepover at Grant's place and we watched the card and he recorded it. And then I was like, I think I borrowed the tape from him a week or two later because he didn't really. And this was sort of, he was kind of into really into wrestling from like, let's say WrestleMania 1 till about now. And then he kind of, <laughs> this was sort of the end of it for him, you know, like. Ah. And so later that summer, he asked me for the tape back. I'd had it for quite a while. Like, I think I'd had it for a couple months because there was something coming up on TV he wanted to record and he didn't have a spare tape to like put whatever concert or whatever it might have been that he wanted to record. And I was like, no, no, I want, the, I want this wrestling. So I bought him a tape and I basically was like, hey, can I keep this tape and I'll give you another tape? And he said yes. And one of the things that was funny was that before this card starts, there is a Genesis video for the uh, song. I think it's called, uh, Land, was it uh, Land of Confusion or what is it? Yeah, that sounds right. Land of Confusion, yeah, which features these like weird, strange puppets that uh, were, <laughs> if you... Political satire. From the yeah, UK. yeah, yeah. The video kind of shows like Gorbachev and Reagan boxing basically by the end of it or whatever and uh, yeah. being all beaten up and stuff. But uh, so, so I always had that video because <laughs> I couldn't, you know, it was just the first few minutes of the tape, right? And then this match, this card. So that was the start. That was the first tape I had. And then from there, I was like, I want them all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I only was able to get uh, a few of the um, matches here and there. But, you know, the ones that I loved, I was dedicated to. That's right. So... I think one thing we want to touch on as we swing around and end out the show is just sort of what I kind of came to realization as we did this particular episode and looking back at the previous episodes is how unfortunate the booking for Roddy Piper and Mr. T is because, and the reason I want to say this, forget about the quality or lack of quality of the WrestleMania 2 match, it dominates what Piper does on TV for months. And unfortunately, as we saw because of the style of humor he was using and the way he was attacking Mr. T's, you know, character and integrity and everything, it's not enjoyable stuff. It's not his best stuff. It's this sort of lesser Piper, you know, and and, and it's the end of the run of the bad guy Piper that we have here. So yeah. we, we got cheated out of like two or three months of prime gold Piper. Now, again, we've already done the what if segment on this, but, you know, had the, if they hadn't thought that Mr. T was some big get, if they didn't go that route, there's a good chance that it's probably like, Piper and Orndorff at WrestleMania to finish off their feud, you know, like, and that would have been, 
that TV leading up to that, the continuation of everything else that was going on, would have been much more enjoyable than the Mr. T slagging that we saw from Piper during these, you know, final days before his leave of absence and his return to uh, basically, essentially, a different version of his character when he comes back. So it's a bit of a, it's like having a, a wake or a funeral for Heel Piper. Yeah, we will miss him. That was some awesome stuff. With the exception, yeah, of the Mr. T feud. Didn't really like that. I didn't realize how good he was until we started this podcast. So as far as our next episode, it won't be a Saturday night's main event, but rather a Canadian card called The Big Event that uh, took place in Toronto. It's a pretty exciting happening. So many people. It was the culmination of a feud that hasn't begun yet as, as of this <laughs> moment because Orndorff just wrestled Adrian Adonis. But we have an entire show actually which covers the clothesline heard around the world. And we're going to release that on a different format which is Patreon. So we hope to encourage people to go over there to uh, check out one show which will help you enjoy even more our next show which will be the big event in Toronto. So uh, Patreon, how do they find that? Yeah, so you're going to go to patreon.com. So Patreon's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash legendary wrestling obsession. And that's going to get you to the page. There's a couple of options to support us. And there's some shows there like our Growing Up AWA episodes two and three. We're about to add the Paul Orndorff episode. Shortly after that, we'll be adding a Crockett Cup 1986 tag team wrestling episode that we've done. We have a tiny bit more to edit and finish up to get that released. So that's going to be added on there. So some more content for Patreon. And that's a great way to help us keep our show going, but also to listen to extra stuff. And and it's neat because the Paul Orndorff episode we're referring to, it literally was our pilot episode. That was the first thing that Jeff and I ever recorded when we first first started doing this. It was almost like our test of, you know, how this was going to work. And so it'll be neat to kind of get that out to people and they can kind of hear, you know, the format. We hadn't figured out our format yet. So it's a little bit, it's laid out a bit differently. It almost ends up being a, a mini Paul Orndorff bio. <laughs> right. Along, along with this one great moment from syndicated TV, as Jeff alluded to, the clothesline heard around the world. So that stuff's going to be there. We also encourage people, if they know somebody who says they can't find us on their podcast app, they can go to Legendary Wrestling Obsession at podbean.com. One more place we really need some help here is just sort of the following. We have a small community here, and we need your help to get the word out. So if you happen to be on Twitter, we would kindly beg you to follow us at L-E-G, that's so the, for the legendary, W-R-E, for the wrestling obsession. So, Leg-R-Obsession. <laughs> you can only have so many characters, so couldn't ah. spell the whole thing out. So, if, if you could give us a follow over there, you know, like some of our stuff, you know, retweet some of that stuff. I know it, it only takes a second, it's a pain in the ass, but the more people do that, the more the algorithms kick our posts in front of people, the more people that can find the show, then we can spread this around the world. <laughs> Yes, support us. We beseech you. <laughs> That's going to wrap us up for this week, but we're going to stick with this WWF trail and get us into the fall of 1986, but not until we get through a big part of the summer of 1986. That's going to wrap us up. Take care. Enjoy your summer.